Panago Pizza presents S-D-P-P, the Steve Dangle Podcast, with your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! Steve, you wanted to kick off the show. Yeah, and I already forget with what. So. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, welcome Chris Johnson back to the Woo! show. It only took a global pandemic for, for us to get him back. Uh, one of our favorite human beings in the entire world, as it is. Uh, I know that he's just been avoiding us, but now that he's trapped in his mm-hmm. condo, he's run out of excuses. Uh, he has to come on. So, Chris, welcome back, man. Well, the truth is, my lawyer has finally said it's okay for me to come back here because I. I set a blowtorch to, to some things the last time I appeared on your podcast. <laughs> it, it's yeah. almost been yeah. a year. It's been a long time. Uh, I think, I think we were, were nine months. You were in after the season ended last year. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. At, it was the, the Leafs clean-out day, locker clean-out day. Wow. So, and you walked right up from that to the studio. Yeah. And now and it's just a- told you everything on my mind. <laughs> and, and now they're, you know, it's a year later and they're not in the playoffs again. You know, you know, as, as always, at the as time, always. Chris said there was going to be major fireworks in the off season and boy, was there ever. So and and he was, they can't uh, lose a game seven, Steve, if there's no game seven being played. So exactly. Victories. Victor- a year free of embarrassment. Chris, I got to ask you. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that last episode had anything to do with, with, I mean, you've been extremely busy, but there was definitely a kind of a big boom after that. And I think people sort of forget it. Uh, what was your reaction to that at the time? And when you think back to it now, did any of it turn into anything kind of, ooh, or like, did you hear from people about it or what happened? I definitely heard from people about it, uh, starting with my former boss within like a day. And was like, are you sure you wanted to say all that? Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I do know certainly people that work for the Leafs listen, but I'm sure they listen anyway. I mean, mm, yeah. um, you know, I was it was a lesson for me, honestly. I mean, not, not that I regret any of it. I certainly didn't say anything I didn't believe, but you know, a, it gave me an insight into how big the Steve Dangle podcast is that, you know, cause it's weird when you're doing this. I even find this when I'm on TV or anything, you, you kind of forget that anyone's watching or listening almost, you know, like mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's just me, Jesse, Steve and Adam having a chat the way we might uh, with beer on the table or whatever. And, and you sort of forget uh, that there's an audience here and, and also, I don't know. I mean, it was a pretty explosive time, right? The Leafs had just lost another game seven. You know, we were talking about an off season with some trades to come, including a cadre trade. I remember we talked about, which obviously came to fruition. I don't remember all the other things, but there was a lot to, to digest and it was an emotional time. So, um, you know, I have, I have no regrets, but I certainly inadvertently it might have set a few bushfires around uh around my professional circles <laughs> well we got to tell you we don't regret it it was great <laughs> no it was awesome I for us spellbound the whole time it was awesome <laughs> oh yeah i mean i think people should probably go back and listen to it right after they're done with this how much how much of that came true too that's the part that it's there's there's a, a prescient nature to that episode that i i don't know that many of our episodes have most of our predictions are wrong uh, but you come on with your actual knowledge and, and, uh, and a bunch of that stuff ended up happening. So, you know, well, Chris, if anyone I, goes back and listens, let, let send me a note on Twitter. I want to know how much was true. Cause there, I'm sure some stuff was wrong too. I just don't remember everything will. that was said. Someone, someone will. One of the more like heated discussions I remember was, you know, okay. So Babcock did this, Babcock did that, Babcock did that. Yeah. Okay. So we're done here. He's getting fired. Well, no, they can't fire him right away, but, but, but. And I'm like, no, so fire him. 
And sure enough, a month and a half into the season. Like, it, it just seemed like – it seemed like that little period of time, that October to November blip, didn't need to happen at all. I don't know. And it seemed like it was obvious in April the last time we had John. That, that's fair. You know, the, the one thing I've thought about that, though, is if the Leafs had a backup goaltender to start the year, you know, maybe Babcock isn't being fired on November 20th uh, because – you know, and, and it's nothing to do with coaching. I'm not even defending him at this point. I mean, I think clearly it's probably best for him to, to move on. And I think it's been good for the organization to have a little bit more harmony in terms of what the front office and the coaching staff are trying to accomplish being in the same space. But, um, you know, there was still a scenario, I think, where the Leafs started the year better than they did. And, and maybe the, the reasons for that move wouldn't have come along when they did. And, you know, the Leafs are probably fortunate given that they were – it appears now with hindsight, certainly going to arrive at that conclusion at some point that Sheldon Keefe, the guy they had already in the organization, was their chosen guy. And, and you know, for all the ups and downs that happened after the coaching change, you know, they still, I think, were the eighth best in point percentage from November 20th on. Uh, they were fifth best in the league in expected goals percentage. I think things were moving in the right direction, albeit with some some hiccups and things that probably had Steve pulling his hair out on those, uh, probably. those LTRs after the Definitely. game. Well, you know. Definitely. <laughs> well, I try to think so, it's a more peaceful time now. For there's not, there's yeah. not as much stress. Well, it and is. A, along that timeline, Chris, there's a lot of questions that we have, and we'll get to what's going. There's so much we need to talk about today, including you know the rumors about how the NHL would start the season, when it would start or restart, if it would, where it would go, all that sort of thing. But I, I guess you know it, it makes sort of sense to start in the past a little bit here with. Um, with, with that kind of start, because it was a bit of a shaky start. One question that I've had burning in my mind, and, and it started the first game of the year. Actually, it started before that. It started at a press conference that I know you were at, or a scrum that I know you were at, where Mike Babcock said that he was trying to get Jason Spezza to play a certain role here, and he wanted to see if Jason Spezza was up for that role. And then oh. start of the season, they scratch him in the first game. Now, my opinion at the time was, eh, Jason Spezza is 36 years old. And he's probably going to platoon. And that's not really news. Uh, but it turned out that, that eventually, you know, there, there seemed to be an intention of, I don't like this player. I've chosen not to like this player. And we've seen Mike Babcock do that with certain guys before, certain guys he was right about, you know, Peter Holland, that sort of thing. From the other guys, said it, from the moment he said it in preseason. <laughs> yeah, other guys, like <laughs> even after the Jake Muzzin trade, you had that famous quote of, well, it's, you know, it's not perfect, we'll make do, whatever. It's still Jake Muzzin coming to town. So what was your, what do you think the reasoning specifically uh, that Mike decided Jason Spezza was not his guy uh, from the beginning? And Jason Spezza played so well when he did play and played really well under Keefe afterwards. Where do you think that, what was the reasoning there? Was there a disconnect between player and coach or was it a message to the front office that he didn't like the team they gave? No, the only way for me to interpret that at the time is that it was about control. And it was about Mike Babcock making it clear to everybody that he was going to decide which players play for him, uh, no matter who's been brought in by the front office and, and what pretenses they were signed under, because that was truly you know, I've seen a lot of stuff in my career. And look, at there's times when this, the sort of, I guess, controversies that, that erupt, you know, they erupt for good reasons. Teams are losing, the, the tensions are getting high. This was the second or third day of training camp. We were out in St. John's, Newfoundland. It was literally one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do around an NHL team. The, the way people were, were around it, you know, obviously it's the third day of camp. There's, there's generally no, there's no 
there's no tension. There's nothing in the air. It's just you're getting back to the season. The weather was great. The, the, the place we were at, everyone seemed happy. It's funny. I'd had a really long chat with Jason, maybe 20, 25-minute interview one-on-one with him the day before this, in which we went over all the points that Mike Babcock was going to then address the next day, in, in which he, he very much understood that very little was promised to him. You know, that he viewed this opportunity as a chance to finish his career with his hometown team, to be back close to his, his parents, to move, you know, his kids permanently back to this area in Toronto where he intends to live beyond when he plays. He had turned down other more lucrative offers from other teams to take the league minimum contract to try to help the Leafs out in any small way uh, because we know what their cap situation that even a hundred grand here or there would make a difference in, in potentially some of the things they, they could do. You know, I got the impression he wasn't looking for anything other than just a chance to play and, and would play five minutes, would scratch, would play 15 minutes, whatever they wanted. And then the next day, Mike Babcock said, well, we got to see if he wants to do this. So I was like, there's no yeah. way that this guy the day before would, would sit to a reporter and say everything he said. I mean, I don't think it had anything really to do with Jason Spezza. Unfortunately, got caught up in the middle of it. It's almost like, you know, the kids in a divorce or something, maybe at times where the parents are wrestling over some degree of control and, and where they are when. And unfortunately, it cost Jason a chance to be in the opening night lineup, which you know, I think was something that he handled as well as you can handle. And yeah, it's symbolic, but you know, that's a big night. And normally they introduced the scratches on that night. They didn't then because I don't think they wanted to embarrass him. And you know, I know his, his family was in the building. I think that was one of the games his kids came to. Uh, they also came to that, that afternoon game uh, just before Christmas against Carolina. And he started in the starting lineup, I think, to make amends for that and scored 30 seconds into the game, which was kind of cool. But um, this was a truly head-scratching thing because there was just no reason at that point in time. Even if it was in Mike's mind, hey, look, I don't know if this guy's good enough. You didn't have to say that on the third day of camp. I mean, there hadn't even been an exhibition game yet. I mean, there's eight of those during the preseason. I mean, I, I think if we saw him play in the preseason and he wasn't good enough and the coach had to say, look, I don't know, guys, I think everyone would understand it. But it was almost like Spezza was dead on arrival here. And I think it had way more to do with – friction between the coach and the front office and anything else. So was that friction? Sorry, Jesse, you want to go ahead? I was just going to say, it's crazy to me that you guys can wrap your heads around these storylines and rehash the season right now. Cause it seems like a far reality from where we are. It feels like years ago, but I it's, want to talk about Jesse, actual hockey. Jesse, so. don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. I want <laughs> to pretend does, none of this it is happening. It doesn't seem like the same life we're living. I it know. Doesn't, it does, this it. doesn't feel like the same thing. Well, and, and so, and, and, that's, and I haven't that's, used this part of my brain, Jesse, in like a month almost. I mean, <laughs> you're doing great, most, man. <laughs> most conversation has been about like, how are we going to restart and what's going to happen? I mean, it's right, nice yeah. to actually talk about what happened this season a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think Here, it's a I perfect just, opportunity just, to do so, but I, I do want to, I do want to, Steve, yeah. I've got, I have a, a follow-up question to that. Did you, no, I know. What do you want to do? Chris, oh, you got okay. some crap in your lip. <laughs> Are you I just, I, what yeah go go like that Does i just he? know the youtube audience is obsessive and I, it was i don't see here. it you're Where good you're good now all right by the way that beard's looking good dude sorry adam here okay. edit no, that no. part out no the <laughs> reason the reason I'll leave <laughs> no, it in, keep whatever. it in man <laughs> um, i'm no, sorry chris, i just know people are gonna be like ah so there. so chris tell me this oh tell no me. the memes yeah oh <laughs> just chris going um i i'm 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 curious about i guess i guess at the time because so things are so often overblown in toronto with hockey um that 
you sometimes don't really take seriously some of the reports that you hear about friction and tension and all those sorts of things. And, and I, I have to admit with D- Dubas and Babcock, as much as I, Mike Babcock's uh, style towards the end drove me crazy, I always kept in mind what it was like before him and how much amazing change he instituted when he did come in. Um, you know, later, we'll talk about the Mitch Marner incident that came out later, you know, later on. But, but oh my the God. friction between Dubas and Babcock must have been pretty intense for Mike Babcock to pull something like this, as we alluded to with Jason Spezza, because what he was doing, in effect, was actively dressing a roster that was less good so that he could prove a point. So it was more important, from what I'm getting, and I could be wrong, correct me on this, it was more important to him to tell front office, I'm in control, than to dress the lineup that gave them the best shot at winning. So explain to me, if you can, what, what the friction was, if, and, 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 and truly, was the relationship completely frayed at the end? Were they able to be in the same room and talk? Um, and, and, and do you find it, as a third question in this, I know it's a lot of questions all at once, do you find it somewhat poetic that Nick, Nick Patan ended Mike Babcock's tenure? <laughs> in Vegas, Man. remember the Marc-Andre Fleury save? <laughs> to to wrap that all together, saying. what's his problem? Yeah, what's his deal, man? What's his problem, Chris? Well, he, here's what I do know. They worked at it. You know, him and Kyle Dubas spent a lot of time on the phone. I don't think it was the friction in the sense that they can't be in the same room or anything like that. I just think that as it, they went along and tried to work through the relationship, they, they both, for probably different reasons, came to a conclusion that it probably wasn't going to work long-term, that they were never going to see the world the same way and probably was going to be a challenge for them to work together. I, I think, honestly, Mike Babcock felt from the moment Kyle Dubas got uh, you know, ascended to that chair that he was, he was on borrowed time because he wasn't the, the choice of the general manager. I mean, that's, that's typically what we see in a lot of situations around the league. And I think that he didn't really believe he fully had the support of the front office. Obviously, I I think that there was a difference of opinion of the types of players and the way the team was meant to be played uh, from, from what Kyle Dubas and and, uh, the direction they've gone and and the way Mike Babcock did things. And so, you know, I I think it was a relatively, it's one of those marriages that just kind of ended. I don't think there was fireworks. I don't think there was an FU fight. Uh, I think that there was a general recognition that this just wasn't going to work at some point. And so, um, you know, I don't know if Mike believed that he dressed an inferior lineup on opening night when he left Spets out there. I mean, it's entirely plausible. He just wasn't comfortable with Jason Spets at age 36. As, he was, as but he was more role. comfortable with Freddie the Goat? Like that, that logically doesn't make sense. To you and Spets I, is- it doesn't. But I mean, I think... You know, Jason Spezza, it didn't go well for him in Dallas, right? I mean, Mike Babcock knows yeah. Ken Hitchcock well. When, when Jason first went from a player getting 60 or 50 points to playing 10 minutes a night and being scratched, it, didn't, it wasn't an easy transition for him. I think that's natural. We're talking about a guy who was a superstar at the, the height of his career. He had to learn some things. It is something Jason's acknowledged, that he's learned how to embrace this type of role, and, and he still cho- is choosing to want to do this at a point. He doesn't need the money, and he certainly doesn't need to do this. He's got a, a he's had a great career, but he wants to. You know, I think it's possible Mike just didn't like him in that that role. But um, with, with him and, and Kyle, I just it, I'm sure Mike knew this was what was going to happen. Honestly, he was he might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. And you know, he's he's a coach that that's been around the block. He hasn't been fired in the NHL actually prior to this. But you know, I think he the writing was on the wall for him and. 
the truth is, as we're talking right now, I don't know if we're going to see him coach again and, and not related oh. to that murder incident that you might want to get into. We do. But, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, I do think for him, maybe this, this was the end of the road and, uh, you know, who knows? We'll see. He's a competitive guy. It's hard to rule him out. He's, he's healthy. He's not that old, relatively speaking. You know, there's certainly a chance for him to coach again in the NHL, but I don't think he's made up his mind that he wants to do that. Before the Marner thing, uh, you know, Spezza was a guy who wasn't played, really. Uh, the, but someone who was played, but seemed to, he was in the lineup every night, but it just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't mold. Uh, Tyson Berry, uh, what happened there? Sort of at the beginning under, of the season under Mike, because there's under, more. There's there's two Tyson Berry, right? Yeah. Well, there's the Tyson Berry under Mike, who was actually playing kind of good defense, but he wasn't Tyson Berry at all, and he had like four points. And then there was the guy that we saw under Keefe, who was an adventure. So I don't know. That was a that was a lot of words all at once. But talk about Tyson Berry. I'll be a stereotypical <laughs> media member. Well, I think I think anyone out there that switched jobs might at least somewhat identify this. If there's something you feel you do well and you don't get a chance to do it at the new place, you're wondering, how does this fit? You know, how can I be useful to them? I think that's really where Tyson found himself. The fact that he, he really wasn't playing much power play time. He wasn't on their number one unit to start the year. And then the unit he was on is, has much, much less firepower than, than what the Leafs were showing on PP1. I mean, it just, that's really his number one skill. I think for anyone that signs him now as a free agent, you, you have to be sure that you have, a spot for him on PP1 and then sheltered minutes for him at even strength. I think that that's what he is. I think that's where he thrives. I, I certainly think teams need defensemen that can do that. But, you know, a lot of people have linked him to Vancouver, say, because he's a BC boy. I mean, Vancouver absolutely does not need that. You know, no, they have no. Quinn Hughes. Uh, yeah. They have the next 10 years of that, and, and Quinn doesn't even have to be sheltered, as it turns out, because he's so good at 5-on-5. Five five. But, but in terms of anchoring their power play, I think that, the Titanson has to be very careful when he gets a free agency in choosing a place that, that can allow him to fill that role. And, and, you know, I think it was one of Sheldon Keefe's, you know, many smart things he did at the beginning was try to build everyone back up that had been beaten down because I got to tell you, uh, Tyson did a media availability in Vegas. I believe they practiced there the day before they played what became Mike Babcock's last game. And I can't recall an NHL or, you know, basically take on as much as he did in terms of blame and, and really laid his emotion out there and how, you know, being a free agent was weighing on him and how his lack of production was weighing on him and really didn't, didn't bullshit anything, just really gave it to us. And, and it's all, it's almost sad. It's hard to watch someone, you know, as an elite athlete going through that. And then two days later, uh, Sheldon keeps leading the morning skate before the game in Arizona and already they show the power play units and he's been added to PP one. And I think he scored that night in Arizona. I know first he scored goal. the next, he yeah. scored the next game in Colorado and his return uh, first game against the avalanche and, and things certainly got a little bit better for him. And at, for time, I think a lot better for him. And, and I think that was a smart thing to do. I mean, if you have a hard ass coach, which Mike undoubtedly was, you might as well build these guys up. I mean, put Matthews and Marner together for a long time because that was something Mike wouldn't do. Put Tyson on the first power play unit. I think, uh, that was a, a smart thing that Sheldon Keefe identified early and, and, you know, really changed the mood around the team with, with a few of those, those kind of decisions. Yeah. And, and those are, some of those decisions are ones that we want to talk about because obviously the team performed really well in the first 20 games, you know, winning 15 of them and then became a 500 team sort of after that. And, uh, and we do want to talk about that, but obviously before we get to the, the Keefe, I don't want to call it an era, but the Keefe section of the season, um, we have to talk about what happened. So Mike gets let go, and obviously the Mitch Marner story comes out. And then 
uh, the Bill Peters stuff comes out to trumpet like a week later. And so, then, yeah, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so you know the the Mitch Marner thing when it broke, and it, was it Terry Koshan that that yes, that put yeah. out? Uh, it was two. It was two parts. It was Terry Koshan broke the story, and then Ian Tullock broke that it was indeed Mitch Marner. Right, because he'd heard about it. Now, probably, probably saving us from ourselves in the process. Right, because everybody would assuming it was everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it could have been this guy. It could have been that. Yeah, yeah. which is the worst. Um, so, so Chris, I guess that's a situation that might have been well known to people in and around the organization that had been around it. Um, and 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 I guess, I, I mean, we know what happened with the Mitch Marner situation. We know the story. You know, the making of the list. And then Mike going out and showing guys, and and Steve's mentioned this on the show before because I think Mike's got a a psych degree. Apparently, dealing with him is a bit like he's always playing mind games. Is this a case? Like, is this a one-off thing with Mike Babcock from from what you could gather, or like a, a little mind game to motivate players that went too far, or is this something that he legitimately thought was a good idea? Uh, I mean, he must have at one point. Um, and is this something that? when you're playing under Mike Babcock, this is the kind of strain that you play under because there were plenty of other players. I think Johan Franzen was one of them who came out afterwards and said, Oh my God, he was the worst guy to play. for." Well, you know, I think that that it was something that he apologized for in real time, you know, and, and I think that that's an important part of it in that he acknowledged behind the scenes to Mitch Marner that it, it was a mistake. And so, you know, that's probably the, that's, I haven't heard any story privately or publicly during his time in Toronto, that was worse in my estimation than that, where he clearly overstepped the bounds the way he did here. And I think where the overstepping is, is, is sort of obvious, but he betrayed a young player's trust in front of the entire team at a time when that guy was extremely vulnerable in that dressing room because, you know, his teammates don't yet know him. You know, obviously he wasn't yet the Mitch Marner even is today in terms of star power. I mean, I think we saw that it was in him, but, you know, he was still finding his way and that was a pretty shitty thing to do to him at that point in time. Um, you know, and I, I guess think what, my question is, how is that not blatantly obvious? This is the highest paid coach in the game. How could that even, even requiring it to be apologized for it seems a bit ridiculous when you pull yourself out from it. Right? Like it's like, it's, you would expect to play a guy who's making, was it five and a half million dollars to know oh, more. that that's going to be a problem. Six million. You would ex- if I'm paying you 6 million bucks, I expect more than, than ham-handed stuff like that. That's just me, and I know humans make mistakes, but that is one of the craziest concoctions I've ever seen in my life. And I guess, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but it's sort of like, it, does that, did that not give the organization a little bit of a red flag moment? Like, uh, whoa, what is that? Well, here's the thing, and this is in no way a defense of Mike Babcock in this situation, but I think, you know, really when you're the coach, it's your job to, to get wins to try to get the most out of guys and as strange as it is, and especially historically, and I think this has changed a lot and for the better in the sport, it's almost by any means necessary to achieve that. And so as weird as it might sound, I think to people that have occupied dressing rooms, guys that played in the NHL in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, they, they probably aren't as shocked by this kind of thing because they've seen worse and, and experienced worse. Again, that's not, by any stretch meant to say, Hey, this was a justified thing to do. But, you know, I think that it was a learning, uh, it was a learning instance for Mike that, that there's, there's a limit to his power that he has to be a little bit more thoughtful. And, and, you know, I, I can't explain it. I can't say he should have done it. I obviously don't feel that way, 
Um, you know, what I can say though, is that I don't think the Leafs players hated him as much as maybe the, the view might've been outside. My sense of what a lot of the players, and I'm talking the big name guys on this team were feeling by the end of Mike Babcock's time was they were frustrated by the fact that certain things would never change. They were frustrated by the fact that certain players are never played together or that, you know, that there wasn't more of a human touch involved in things that he did. You know, I think even Mitch Marner has been, been pretty clear that, that he went on to have a decent enough working relationship with, with Mike beyond that time. That's not to say that, that he didn't, uh, that he ever forgot it or just smoothed it over entirely. But I, I think there's an understand that, that you, you're going to get your buttons pushed a bit as a professional athlete. You know, this was a case that went too far. Uh, it was dealt with in the moment. And, you know, there might have been some red flags, but Lou Lamorello is an old school guy. Um, you know, I, I do think that the fact that there was an apology there, the fact the team went on, you know, Mitch Marr had a pretty good rookie season. He had a much better next two seasons beyond that under Mike. The team made the playoffs and took strides. I mean, I, I think that in some ways this was probably viewed behind the scenes by the people that knew about it all along as a bump in the road, but something that they got over and, and he was still getting a positive response out of the players because let's face it, that team, especially in the first year, uh, when, when they brought all the rookies in, Mike's second year as a Leafs coach, I mean, that team massively outperformed expectations at 105 points in next season, 100 points to, in his, his fourth and final full season. I mean, they were showing areas of growth there. And, and so I don't think there was a concern about some of the little things that, 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 you know, where there was butting of heads along the way. How much did that play into the Mitch Marner negotiations, though? Because there was all this talk about, before this story came out, there was all this talk about, well, the Marner camp feels disrespected by the Leafs. And when you hear a story like that, like we didn't hear that till after, but when you hear a story like that, you can understand as bombastic and ridiculous as his agent was, you can understand how they would feel that way. I mean, I think it's a relatable thing on a certain level to a certain point. For sure. And I think that, you know, they were stung by the way that he was dropped to the fourth line as a rookie. There were certain things that Mike did unrelated to the incident in question that I think they wondered about you know, maybe the, the team's commitment to Mitch, that, that maybe it, it, he wasn't viewed the same way as Austin Matthews, who, you know, is a, a contemporary of his drafted one year after, but pretty close, just a couple of months apart in age and, and two superstars in a league. Uh, I think it probably underpinned it to a degree. Um, you know, some of the, the, the frustration there and, and the desire, the real burning desire, I think, is what the Leafs recognized and, and ultimately why they paid more than – market value to sign him is because they, they love the kid. They believe in him. They think he's going to get even better from today. And they realized how important this was to him. I mean, that, that's part of what you do in a negotiation is I think, you know, it was significant, for example, when Kyle Dubas went and met with William Nylander in Switzerland when they were at their impasse the year before, because that was when Kyle really got an understanding. Okay. This isn't agent driven. This isn't his dad or any of the, the sort of question marks you have around the surface. This really matters to the player. And then, you know, I think that the team has to make that kind of decision. I think ultimately with Mitch Marner, they realized that he felt that he hadn't always been given a fair shake, call it uh, in his first three seasons. Um, and they, that he really believed he was as good as Austin and that he deserved to be paid at a certain level. And, and I think ultimately that's why they, they kind of brokered peace on the, the second day training camp and said enough, we, we can't have this go on any longer and, and got a deal done. What, what's your, what's your perception of, uh, Mitch's season and how it was received because I think we hammered him pretty hard during uh, the negotiations, partly because it was the only bloody thing we had to talk about and it sucked and was awful. But uh, I feel like he's, he got hammered. 
uh, by a lot of fans, despite probably playing the best hockey of his life. So what, what do you think? I think that he never fully got over the trauma of going through that negotiation, you know, just on a personal level. I mean, I, I sense a change in being around him a lot of days, you know, the little bit we interact with players, obviously I don't really know them on a, a human level, but, you know, I, I just got the feeling that this, that, that, that was a really difficult summer for him. And, you know, the way he, some of the things I'm sure he saw on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, uh, maybe some of the things he heard said about him on podcasts like this one or the radio on our hits, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it was that, that, that maybe got into his mind, but you know, when you, you had him late in the season saying, you know, after a loss in Anaheim, you know, we have to just ignore social media and you, you take a lot of heat in this market. And, you know, I, obviously there, there is a lot of noise, but you know, I didn't, I didn't sense a ton of criticism about him this year. I mean, he, he wasn't maybe celebrated the same way he was the year before. I don't think he had as great of a season this year is what he did the year before. You know, he had 94 points. Uh, him and Tavares had a great thing going. It just, for a number of reasons, maybe it was injuries early in the year, Tavares missed time. The, the Leafs didn't find that same mix in their top six, I don't think, this season, even though they did have some great individual performances. Mitch is, you know, if this is Mitch's off season, this would be a career season for most guys in the league. Like, he, he still played great. I, I don't mean the, to, to dog on him. But, you know, I, I think that this was a really – hard thing for him. And, and, you know, I hope one day as, as he gets older and, and I'm, I'm sure he'll get through that, he'll get over those feelings. Um, you know, I hope he can reflect on it because it's pretty clear this left a mark on him. Um, you know, feeling as though he, he was all of a sudden being criticized. And, you know, I think really the criticism was just about the business. It was about what's, what's fair and what's right and what it does to the team. And, you know, my sense, honestly, at least from the mainstream media is that, he didn't take a lot of heat once the contract was signed. You know, he didn't play as well initially, but he, but he really came on there through December and January and was a star on the team, was producing a lot of points. And, and so, um, you know, I think this was a hard year for the guy. And mm. uh, I'm curious to see uh, where he goes next. Sometimes maybe uh, I'm like, oh, you know, he's getting hammered and the perception is this comes from about a dozen people I follow. Yeah. But yeah. I see them back to back to back. That's the, I'm like, wow, yeah. that's a lot. That's the problem with Twitter. It's a bit of an echo chamber sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And a, a couple people can change your perception of something that, or skew your perception of something that maybe isn't realistic. You know what, Chris? I have to say, Mitch went from being the most beloved character in Leafs history that I can even remember. Teddy Bear. Just loved. Mascot. Uh, to still being loved. But I think the issue was that um, people were pissed off. Average people can't relate to somebody feeling disrespected for making millions of dollars to play hockey. And they can't relate to the fact that your agent is saying the Toronto Maple Leafs disrespected you. And, you know, it's like we went on and got John Tavares for you to play with. You had 94 points. How, how is that disrespect? Now, I'm not saying that's fair. And he was a big part of recruiting Tavares. Sure, 100%. But I think that, and I, and I think this also comes with maturity. Mitch, Mitch Marner's like 22. Like, of course that would affect him. But I don't think the, the, a lot of the criticism was, was leveled at him. It was, his, it was his dad and his agent. Most people were pissed at his dad and pissed at his agent for the way they handled things on, or at least the perception of the way Allegedly. they handled things on Mitch's behalf. And it, I mean, I include his dad in that loosely because I don't know if his dad was involved or not. I do know his agent was. And I do know his agent, uh, you know, came out and shit all over the Austin Matthews contract the day after it was signed. And I wonder what that effect had. You know, Austin Matthews signed. signed. 
Sorry, the day it was signed. <laughs> so day it was they walk signed. into the game that night, and 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 obviously Austin's going to see those quotes. And I, I'm they're best friends, so like I don't imagine it, it it mattered too too much. But his agent comes out and says, "What a terrible deal that is," and he's going to take the Leafs to the cleaners. I mean, you remember that? It was a it it's part of that. I mean, fans. It's short for fanatic. You're going to have overreactions in fans. You're going to have it on podcasts and radio shows and TV shows. But at the same time, some of that was self-inflicted. Well, do you know what his agent also did? Held a job for a client. He did. He won. He won. He, 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 he got did, a contract that I would not have guessed that it, the Leafs would have went as high as they did on Marner. And I understand it at the end of the day. I mean, once it's over, it's over. Let's just evaluate it for what it is. They decided that – going to war with them any more than they already had had limited upside for them and they believe in the kid. And so they're going to pay him more than they wanted to. Uh, and, and just have faith that, that he's going to be a superstar in the league and be a difference maker and be the kind of player that money almost can't buy uh, in, in, in the league. So, you know, as much as you or I might have comments on the way Darren Ferris's agent, you know, did things, he did his job. He got his agent, he got his client rather a better deal than I think he was going to. And I think really what you're getting at here, Adam, is the, the trouble with pro sports is that, you know, especially when you really love a team, it's just about love. It's, it's, it's almost, you almost, I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? Like it's, 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 it's a tough thing to justify <laughs> to somebody. If you, if you, some, if you have someone in your life who doesn't like sports at all, they, they could never understand what it is that bonds you to this thing. And so when something like business, which, you know, again, on cold, hard facts, could, could we say to anyone, you should take less than you think you're worth. I mean, I certainly don't do that in my negotiations with sports that I'm sure you guys don't uh, in any business dealings you do. You don't go into the bargaining room. And you're like, ah, just pay me a little bit less. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, no, everybody, you everybody wants more. It's human nature. You know, Mitch has a special skill set, so I can't begrudge him for trying to do that, but it, it does blend this weird mix of sort of like unconditional love, but with money and, and, you know, let's face it. It's definitely had an impact on how he's viewed. I don't think it's going to be the final chapter of the story because I do think as time goes along, his contract will matter less in terms of the, the conversation around him. And he's still got a chance to be a hometown kid that brings a Stanley cup home. And, and, you know, if he manages to deliver on that at some point and is a superstar and does everything, I think, I think that love will, will be reborn, but you know, we're kind of in a weird spot where, as I say, I don't get the feeling he was totally over the way everything happened. Maybe the fans aren't totally over uh, with it, you know, maybe this pause will be good for, for him and for everybody to kind of just readjust and, and get back to sports. Well, it sort of seemed like the whole team needed a reset, right, Steve? Like it was sort of like they're just. Oh, and mean, the fan base, man. Yeah, the, it was pretty, the, negative. pretty that, negative. That's one that I'm confident saying it wasn't just 12 people on Twitter. Like I, yeah. I would say that, and, and you touch on something so perfect there, uh, the love aspect. I've covered the Peter Horacek Leafs. I covered the year they intentionally finished in last place. I've covered some bad, bad Leaf teams as a fan. The two hardest seasons for me in terms of how I handled it were the 16-17 season and this one. And the 16-17 season is maybe the most fun season of my entire life. Like just – uh, from start to finish, the the way the story played out, the the incredible moments, the heartbreaks, the holy shit, they actually made the playoffs, losing to Washington. I've never been so happy to see my team lose in the playoffs. Like, it, like just I was, was at game six. I was at game six, and I was just like, ah, well, next year, <laughs> well, it's, next year, 
but yeah. and this this season, Brian, I don't know. I I Brian. never got a grip on it. I never it wasn't fun. I, it it slipped. It's it was so weird. There was that initial. I almost wish the Keith Leafs were colder coming out of the gate, <laughs> because I was like, they're fixed. <laughs> everything's everything's great. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it, was, it, it was a very difficult season to handle and, from an emotion. So, so, Chris, what this is going to be a tough question to answer, but the Keith Leafs were good. I mean, they were fifteen and five, and then the team was really bad in or or very mediocre. And Freddie, I mean, people were arguing about what the problem was. The problem was the goaltending save percentage dipped pretty low, um, and they seemed to have the backup situation sorted out with Jack Campbell. There were some concerns about Freddie and maybe some injuries or just lack of confidence. I'm not really sure what it was. What are the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? If they if they started if the playoffs started today, assuming they were in them, what, which they will, what is this team? And and from what your from your estimation, there seemed to be they couldn't get the top six right. Uh, Matthews and Marner sort of worked together, but it didn't. But they tried it. Um, are the Leafs? And I guess and the other thing was Keith said, and I think he mentioned it again in the uh, the little the press conference that he had yesterday. He said that they played immaturely. Um, what's your More estimation of what this team is? Well, they're a team that absolutely no one wants to play in the playoffs because they are a team that can allow five goals and still win 6-5. And for all the ups and downs, for all the reasons if you're living and dying every game, uh, as I know you guys are, that, that you lose faith in them, the people that aren't watching every game see what they are when they're at their best and they're just scared that's going to come out. I, I think that a Leafs-Lightning first-round series would have been amazing. No. Oh. Uh, you know, that, that's one thing that we're missing out of this. I mean, we're actually just talking as Chance would have it the first day of what would have been the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, you know, would there be a game tonight in Tampa or tomorrow, whether they start Wednesday or Thursday? But um, and I just think that, that would, You've been on that, that, that for been four awesome. years. You, you've been yeah. on Leafs Lightning for like three or four years. Yeah, you have. You have. Mm-hmm. I know, but we finally were going to get it. I mean, it was pretty much a guarantee. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess unless Toronto fell out in, in Florida past them. Uh, but – you know, there, there was a bit of a cushion there when the season was paused. You know, I don't know what they are. I, I still think that they are forced to be reckoned with as an organization. I think they're set up in a tremendous way. I know that this is of little confidence for people that just want to see it happen now. But, you know, it's certainly, uh, you know, I think most teams around the league would trade their roster straight up for the Leafs roster and take on Toronto's problems at this point in time because there are obviously problems. There's no perfect team out there. Um but and it's going to be a challenging offseason. I mean, I don't know if we we'll get into this, but we will. depending what happens with the salary cap, I mean, this is not a. This could be an even more challenging offseason that was going to be in terms of how Toronto gets better and what they do with their blue line and those sorts of things. But you know, when you have the forwards they have, and even if they drive you nuts sometimes, I mean, Austin Matthews had forty-seven goals, did he? When this thing got paused, I, yep. I mean, you're watching something that's never happened in Leafs history. I mean, some of these these guys and and. You know, I just think that there's still a lot of time for them to become a juggernaut. And I don't know if they'll, they'll do it or not, but, you know, this, they, they, they were clearly a work in progress this year. And I don't know what was going to happen next. They, I mean, they beat Tampa in the last game. Pretty well-played game, actually. I'm with you. I thought Jack Campbell was a great addition. I mean, that guy became everyone's best friend. He's hilarious. Oh, yeah, he's great. Like, it's, yeah. it's fun to go on Instagram and just see him comment on every single other guy on the team's posts and he's just like bigging everyone up all the time and 
you know, I still think that there was reason for hope for this year. And maybe there is, if they get to play again, we'll, we'll, we'll see if this pause does them well. I mean, you're going to get the soup man back if, if they can play. Um, Both yeah, of I, don't, them. I don't think Andreas Johnson's going to be back, no. but, but pretty much everyone but him will be available. And I, I honestly don't think anyone wants to play them, even if you have no faith in them, um, just because they're, they're young and they're scary and they're dangerous. Whenever Chris, we talk Chris, to what CJ, what do you think happens uh, mentally with the team, though, on the nights when they do allow the five goals, or even the periods when they allow the five goals? Because it's definitely not a skill thing. Like the skill is there, but mentally they just seem to collapse. Like I remember the game right before the All Star break. It just seems like they didn't show up, and then we all know the game uh, Carolina with that. Uh, I think there was a backup goalie situation that happened, and yeah. <laughs> they just can't get it together. But they have the skill to put it together, and they just can't do it. Well, I thought one interesting thing that Keith mentioned actually yesterday in, in his call with the reporters was he thinks that they're lacking a certain degree of preparation and, and effort at times. And, and, you know, that would be the kind of quote that would have played big if we were just in a normal hockey season and he's calling them out in that way. But, you know, I, I think that that's what he means by immature, that these guys, especially some of the young star players, are, are learning their way through this thing. I mean, I, I don't have a great answer for why that happened. I mean, every team does – have tough times. I mean, the, the first Chicago team 2010 that won a Stanley cup had a nine or 10 game losing streak in that regular season before they won a cup. Um, so th- this, this isn't something that only happens uh, with the Leafs. And, and, you know, a lot of the guys were pretty open actually about how tough this year was. Uh, I heard Marner say it on a conference call that he feels like the reset's good because they almost forgot at times how good they were. Like, I, I don't know if they were just lacking sort of this understanding of how they can control games. And yet, despite some of the losses that dot your memory, they still won more games than, than 23 other teams yeah. from November onwards. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's good to struggle this way in, in a sense. Uh, but they were clearly – look, at if the playoffs started, there's at least six or seven teams I would pick off the top of my head more likely to win the Cup than the Leafs. And I think when you're built the way the Leafs are, you shouldn't be able to say that. I mean, this team should be in that group of teams that you say, if this works out, like I would say about a St. Louis this year, a Boston, uh, Washington, uh, Philadelphia, as they came on, I think yeah. Vegas was, was getting yeah. there as a team that, you know, was really trending in the right direction uh, when, when everything was paused. I mean, those teams to me were far more likely, even no, you know, nothing to do with the, the playoff format or anything like that to win the cup than this Leafs team. And I think that's, that's a challenge for them next is they, they have to be in that group every year where you say, if things break their way, that this team's good enough to win. And, you know, I'm not sure we were there this year. I certainly wasn't there personally. Whenever we talk to CJ, I feel like I'm part of the Big Brother program. <laughs> and, and you show up to be like, keep your chin up, champ. Like, it's all right, little buddy. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Here. Funny. Hey, I brought two gloves and a ball. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Just toss it around. Toss it around. Yeah. What, what's going to happen, Steve? What's going to happen? Because I know I'm going to know you long enough, like in 10 years when things are going badly, like for real. And I'm on here like this is a lost cause. Yeah, this generation's gonna over. Happen. There's going to be another rebuild. No, yep. well, who knows? Maybe I'll develop this crazy zen, and I'll be like, CJ, you know, it's fine. Like, <laughs> some other guy, you know, they're going to draft him in the fourth or fifth round. You're not even going to know it's coming. And then before you know it, it'll be there. Keep mm-hmm. your head up, champ. I just feel like as your big brother, I should let you know that this period of reassurance won't last forever. But Oh, God. When, no. the, Star Center's, when the Star Center's 22, I still think there's, there is – room here to not freak out just yet if they haven't figured everything out right okay on that point chris um 
you know, their star center getting 47 goals. It was looked like he could pass Rick Vive. Um, how sleep. disappointed do you think Austin Matthews is personally about this? I think he's bummed. I mean, not much gets to him, but, you know, remember the previous two seasons for Austin, he, he didn't get have healthy years. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though this year he did deal with a finger issue that, that was, you know, inhibiting his ability to shoot the puck a little bit, kept him out of participating in the All-Star weekend. It was? You know, he, he yes, I know, it's insane. Crazy. <laughs> but in January in particular, I know for sure that he was really struggling to shoot the puck. He didn't have the same feel with his stick because – I don't know if it was a broken finger or exactly what it was, but it, dealing with a hand issue there in that period of time, he still scored like a maniac because that's the only way to score 47 goals in 68 games or whatever they played. Um, but, you know, I think this will disappoint him because who knows if – I think he understands better than most. There's no guarantees you're going to play 82 games every year and, you know, might only get so many cracks at 50. I know Ovi just makes it like an annual thing. So you think, ah, oh, this this is natural, but – if you look historically, even some of the best scorers like Steven Stamkos you know, only achieved it a couple times. I think Malkin's only been there once or twice. Even Crosby hasn't done it too often. I mean, you, you need a lot to go your way in a year to even have a shot at 15 today's NHL. And so I think that'll, that'll bug them on some degree, probably bigger than anything, though, for all these guys as they played 85% of a regular season. They went through some, some of the crappy times. You know, January and February isn't always the, the most fun time to be an NHL player. And they were just getting to the good stuff. I mean, they just beat Tampa on March 10th and you know, the, the playoff race was coming into view, the weather's weather's turning and you know, they might miss out on, you know, one of their chances here to, to compete for that Stanley cup. And I think that'll probably hurt not just them, but players around the league. I mean, if you remember the blues right now, the Bruins, even the flyers, I mean, how are you feeling about this? There's only so many cracks and, and um, you know, to have that potentially taken away from you, uh, obviously we recognize why it's happening and that there's more important things happening outside the sporting context here, but you know, that's, that's pretty crushing if you're a professional athlete. How do you handicap the chances of this season coming back? Cause the, the rumor now is, and, and Frank Cervalli had something I think today about a potential floating it back to, you know, pulling back to 68 games or something like that for every team, because every team has at least played 68 games. So you can say, well, at 68 games, here's what it was. And, will null and void the, the last couple of games or the last three games for everybody else might be the fairest thing I've seen so far. Points percentage was another one. Um, what do you, what are the chances you give the NHL season to come back? I'm, and when I say season, I say season playoffs awarding a Stanley cup at this point. And then we'll talk about the plan involving North Dakota. That's rumored. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet. So uh, you know, from what you've heard, like, what do you think? What do you actually, do you know anything? Have you heard anything? I'll have to show my work here. I am personally quite pessimistic about this, you know, mostly out of the sporting context, mostly just, you know, what I'm watching on the, the nightly news, CBC every night, you know, what experts are saying about, uh, you know, how they think there could be, you know, a second wave of this virus, you know, some of the challenges and truly controlling it even after you start to flatten the curve. I just see a lot of logistical hurdles that are going to be difficult for any sports league to overcome and, and expect to play games by July. That being said, the people I talk to, I cannot, especially these last few days, guys, I'm stunned how confident behind the scenes the league seems to be that they're going to be able to play. And, you know, I think it runs deeper than them just believing this because they're trying to keep their spirits up and they're, they're trying to keep the light on here of, of hope and, and almost give themselves a reason to, to get out of bed every day and do what they do. You know, I think that they must have some kind of information because they do have a virus specialist on, on, as a consultant. 
uh, you know, gentlemen that, that practice out of the hospitals in New York City, uh, they must be getting something from the medical community that we don't know about that allows them to think, you know, that they're going to be able to get back. I mean, I think at minimum, this requires point of service testing, uh, that being tests that you can be done on the spot and, and virtually tell you if someone is, is you know, positive for the coronavirus or not. I think it probably is going to involve the development of some sort of medication that lessens the results of this. I mean, I think we're all understanding before there's a true vaccine, um, you know, that's probably going to be 12 to 18 months based on uh, what the, the, the experts have said on that, but that maybe there could be a medication in the meantime that, that makes it so that if you contract a coronavirus, it's not as deadly or it's, it's not, you know, cause that's really we'll the issue. On a ventilator, right? Well, the problem with the thing, honestly, especially because we're talking about young, healthy athletes, and so they don't fall in the danger group, is that it spreads really easily. And in the environment a pro sports team occupies, I mean, spread, there's no way to control it. That's why the mumps, uh, you know, went around the NHL a little bit a couple of years ago and, and other things. Yeah. I mean, as much as they wipe down every service and, and those NHL dress rooms, at least when I'm in there, are as clean as can be, there's, it's still impossible to, to fully limit the spread. And And the fact is, we still don't understand why it just kills people. I mean, a 20 year old woman died in Alberta, uh, I think last week and didn't have underlying health conditions. And so the fact that it can still be deadly, I mean, obviously I think that, that the league is sensitive. It does not want to put players at risk and the fact that it spreads easily, you know, anyway, it's a long way of saying, I just don't see it happening, but people that really know more than I do really believe it's going to happen. And so I hope I'm wrong in this case, as much as I like being right, I want to come on here and tell you what's going to, look into the future and tell you exactly how things are going to be. Uh, you know, I expect July and August that I won't be covering hockey games in any way, shape or form, but uh, the NHL really believes there's going to be some and let's hope they're right. So the plan from what we've heard, and I don't know if Jesse and Steve have heard this, but there is the plan that similar to what the MLB was talking about with Arizona, uh, which is there's a hockey arena in North Dakota that they've identified and they would bring all 31 teams to the area um, and they would sequester themselves so they'd be away from their families the whole time. And they would play multiple games a day on this ice surface that would be televised. Um, you know, is that a viable plan? Is, is there any connection to the NHL or is that just people throwing darts at the wall? Um, and in, in your estimation... I mean, that's the one way that you could say, well, if, if it's a closed community, although I don't know how you keep 700 guys from doing something, um, do you think that that happens? And is that a real option that they're actually considering? Well, what you laid out there is sort of part of the plan. And there's many plans. I think we should go plural on this. But I think among what's been discussed is the idea of having two or four or eight or even 16 different cities where you, they act as kind of regional hubs where you could do some teams. I think Part of the problem here is that there's no city or there's no place where it would make sense that you could have 31 teams go. Just, okay. There's no logistical way, uh, whether it's hot, you know, where they stay, uh, the arenas, you know, the, the availability of ice, those types of things. I mean, the only places that would work are places like New York or Toronto or places where, let's face it, that the virus is liable to, to spread at its worst. And so, you know, I think that they're looking at some places with more low-density populations, and that's where North Dakota comes into the, the picture. It's also a state that you know, hasn't had uh, much social distancing. They haven't actually had to this point and uh, they haven't had much spread of the virus there at all. And they happen to have a, an arena that's basically NHL quality, albeit a little bit smaller in terms of the capacity for fans, but there's not going to be fans anyway. So, you know, that's been one area that's been identified as a potential. I've heard that Buffalo is a potential. 
uh, because you do have multiple ice surfaces there. There's a practice rink adjacent to the, the main arena that the Sabres play in. I've heard about Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, where they've had AHL and, and now ECHL teams based. Uh, I think that they're looking at a lot of different things. And so we, it would be wrong to say North Dakota is, is the plan, but certainly it's been discussed as part of the things that, that could happen here because I think there's an understanding if there's going to be a playoffs, we're probably talking about no fans at this point. I mean, any scenario, no matter yeah. what it looks like. Right. I, I don't no think fans. we're getting 20,000 people in a building by July and no. August anywhere in North America, probably anywhere in the world, frankly. No. Uh, because even the Premier League and baseball have talked about doing games uh, not inside, not in front of fans, and and so you can be more creative with where you take it. Um, you know, I I think that that they'll probably have at least four cities that they do this in, almost like a regional type of setup that you see in, in NCAA basketball for March Madness. And if it was just for the playoffs, say you just have four teams in each each one, you know, each division, say the Atlantic Division is based out of one place, what have you. I mean, I I could see that setup potentially working but you know as I mentioned in the previous answer a lot of things have to happen in the wider world uh, before the league can even really dig down on that mm-hmm. yeah uh it's a silly dream but it is a lovely one <laughs> I, I do like it so I, July I 10th Steve would you be like fine to be watching hockey like it's perfect weather outside and there's no sta- there's no fans in the stands so it's a different vibe I mean how would you feel about that it would require a real mental reset, I think. And for a lot of hockey fans, because uh, like I, I said from the beginning, or at least I think I did, uh, when it came to the 2013 season, yeah, because some people are like, well, you know, whoever wins the cup, is it a real cup? I think we can say confidently the Chicago Blackhawks should have won that cup. The final four was the, you know, the last four cup winners. The best teams made it to the top. Is this a real cup? Like, is this going to be a real playoffs and a real end of the season? I don't know. I know people that work for teams and good teams that say it won't be a real cup. That they, that if they could choose, and this is a, I was surprised actually one guy in particular said this to me and and he's not an emotional guy. And he works in a front office for a team and said that he just doesn't think winning the cup this year would be anywhere near the same as what a typical team gets. And, and, I don't think you ever turn down any cup <laughs> if you get a chance. I mean, you, you, you take a bastardized version of it over never winning it. Uh, but this would be, this will be weird. I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, we're, we're probably looking at a different term, you know, format, you know, might be best of five in the early rounds or best of three. It's going to be after all this like, time off, it's going like, to feel, it's going to be weird, but I think it's worth doing honestly, still, if, if it can be done, it's, it's a lot to stick. The Stanley Cup has only not been handed out twice in like 120 years. I think you like, got to go with what happened. For pretty good reason, though. Yeah. But <laughs> with, with, listen, if, if, if this, assuming it's viable, for me, you know, some people will be jerks about it and say, well, it's an asterisk next to that because it's not the full Stanley Cup experience after the season, whatever. Mm-hmm. Listen, man, to me, um, it's better than not having it, assuming it's safe. Sure. And, and if, if my team wins the cup, I don't care if there's an asterisk next to it in your mind, the Leafs just won the damn cup. I'm going to celebrate. And even if it's by myself in my room, I will be celebrating like it's crazy. And, and I think that that's, I guess that I have a no parade, like the Raptor parade. If the Leafs do it this, this oh, summer, no, maybe. nothing like that. No, it would be, we won't even be allowed. That's insane. No, no. <laughs> uh. Maybe you could do an airplane parade. Like maybe they could hire a bunch of airplanes and just fly around the city or something. So everybody could see it. But <laughs> Um, you think the that's Sims. a crazy idea. 
But uh, the, the Raptors and Leafs partner with the Sims and you just create your guy and you walk downtown. <laughs> I love that idea. Or, or right, everyone crossing. cheer. Just do it on Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't not? stop think of the, thinking of the injured players, like the guys who will be able to come back if this thing actually kicks off. Because in the NBA, there's, everybody keeps talking about if Durant and Kyrie Irving come back for the, uh, for the right. Brooklyn Nets. And it's like, that's so unfair because they wouldn't have played it all this season. And the NHL, there are the same equivalents where you're getting these star players who have had these months off just to recover and you got a brand new season with a bunch of new guys. So how can you not look at it differently if these players literally wouldn't have been in the previous season? Well, yeah, you can't ignore history. I mean, it's funny. Mark Giordano actually made the point that he thinks it could be the best playoffs ever because yeah. teams would be as healthy as healthy. they absolutely ever could be yeah. to start it. Now, I, I like it. I like that, it. And it, That might be a glass half full view of it from yeah. you know, a player that wants to play it. I get it. He's a veteran guy in the league. Has never won a cup. He wants to have it. Um, but – you know, it would be kind of cool. I mean, you get a Stamkos and Seth Jones and you guys help me. I mean, I can't remember everybody who was out. McKayev, big stud like <laughs> McKayev. Exactly. Same. Yes. Uh, Game exactly. Future, Hall, future Hall of Famer like Ilya McKayev. <laughs> uh, Hall of Fame quotes so far. So uh, He's no, a great guy too. I'm not actually making fun of him. No. Ilya McKayev has said a grand total of like six words. And we're like, love that guy. <laughs> he's he's, he's the new Leo Komarov. He is. He's got like 22 yeah. career NHL points or something. and. They, and I can remember every single reverence. one of them. I can remember every single one of them. <laughs> the, the glue that holds us together. Ilya Mikheyev. Love him. Like, who knew in this time it would be a Russian man? Uh, it, was, but- <laughs> it, was funny, it was funny to hear um, uh, McDavid um, say what he said. What, what we're just going to have flames, Oilers, right out the gate, and we'll kill each other. Like, what, yeah, it would be you, amazing. I, I, I would imagine more players would actually be on McDavid's side there than Giordano. I think that's the 37-year-old or whatever it is in Giordano talking. Yeah, for sure. Well, the, what McDavid was saying is they just need to have regular season games. Right. Like he's, not, he's not against having the, the playoffs be salvaged no. in some form. It's just, you know, I get it. He said it would be turned into Bakersfield-Stockton, I think, because there'd be so many injuries and stuff uh, right out of the gate if it was Calgary-Edmonton. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my understanding, honestly, I think the league wants to play – would prefer to have the regular season, but I think they're being realistic at this point. And, and, you know, either you're going to see a play in type of format, say seven versus 10, eight versus nine in the conference, and maybe some exhibition games for the other teams that are already kind of exempted from that. I, I don't think we're really going to see, uh, you know, regular season games. I, I could be wrong, but I don't see them dragging the Detroit Red Wings back to go through a two or three week training <laughs> to play a couple games. <laughs> Or cool. San Jose, or Anaheim, or Ottawa, or any of the yeah. teams that clearly yeah. are out of it. I mean, I, I think it, it is almost cruel. And it's who's going to want to watch those games in those markets? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think there's the, the fairest way to do it is, is to maybe expand it beyond just 16, because it would be unfortunate if someone missed by a point and had no idea that the season was about to be ending. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see truly regular season games in 1920 again. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think anybody on who's a Red Wings fan will probably just be grateful to hear that. It, well, it, this was going to be maybe one of the like all-time bad seasons, and now it has an asterisk. Yeah, that's yeah. for themselves. Yeah, it's you true. Know, we might have gone on like a ten-game heater to end the season. <laughs> win a, win a dozen straight games. It's it's going to be really funny though if they do have that little play-in, and then all the hockey fans who annually goof on baseball for having a big champagne party. 
every time they qualify for the wild card game. Ah, we made the playoffs. Ah, like think like those will be the most, like some of the most hotly contested, memorable regular season games of your life. Yeah, they'll be amazing. They'll be. Amazing. Oh, I think it'd be awesome. And I and I actually believe. In fact, I know part of the discussion that's happened with the players in the league is on changing the the playoff format for next season too. Like, oh. like making making what happens be something that is more permanent down the road. I don't think they've decided on anything. I don't think there's one format. Don't read into that. But I know that that's been part of the discussion, that if they're going to change the format now, you know, since we're doing this, I mean, let's maybe announce a, a larger changes. Do we want to add more playoff teams? And I think when you're going to 32, as they are with Seattle, there's room for me for four more teams, at least to get a little bit of a play-in wildcard type of situation. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, they'll get rid of the stupid divisional format that they've been on with, you know what I mean? Like, it's not – like this top three and then top three and then two wild. Like, is it, is this necessary? Uh, can't we just see some teams play some hockey and, and go from there? them in the order that they finish in the standings yeah, and like, not in the division? Yeah. Why does the NHL insist on this artificial thing? Because they're getting Leafs Bruins every year and they're getting Pittsburgh Washington For- playing three or four times. I mean, I think yeah. that's why they do it. I don't like it. I mean, I, I, I haven't found the logic to be all that sound of playing 82 games and then potentially having the first third and fifth overall team in a league, you know, have to go through each other in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. It seems like what was the point of being that great over 82 games? You you don't really get much reward there. Um, I I don't know though. The league is, they've held firm on this. So I'm not going to promise you that's ending, but I do think coming out of this, you're going to see more than 16 playoff teams in the future years. Hmm, interesting well it's totally money driven right it's to make sure that you know the problem is is that for a lot of markets it just pisses you off right like these hardcore markets that have seen their teams play so well all year and they're out in the first round because they're playing the team that's just ahead of them by a point rather than playing a team that stinks and gets through to the third or second round I guess um that that part of it I think will burn the NHL over a period of time I think you'll see a rebellion for fans who are like what the like, what the hell, man? Like, why are we going to these games and paying this money if we just have to play a team just ahead of us? And, I'm, you know, I'm a Leaf fan, so obviously that's a thing. And I, I don't mind them playing Boston. I just want them to play Boston because they should play Boston, not artificially play Boston. Well, and the problem is, is that last year didn't do much for the argument because there's so many upsets, right? I mean, Carolina beats Washington. You right. get Pittsburgh swept by the Islanders. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, there's oh Tampa obviously losing to, to Columbus. Columbus. It kind of it kind of undid that argument that that I've been making like you that well the best team isn't getting a fair shake here. Well, maybe but that's what the we're playoffs. Learning. That's always been the playoffs, though, right? That's always been what's happened. It's just it's just that they these teams shouldn't have been playing each other. Period. I like I like the one to eight in the conference. Honestly, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was wrong that with had, that. Yeah, that had more semblance of fair to it than what we've seen in this new format. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm I'm excited for the play-ins though because I do think the problem you have is if you cut it off at 16, like the 17th, 18th, 19th teams, there's not that much difference. I mean, right now if we're looking at the West, that's that's kind of like choosing between Winnipeg, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Like all those teams are kind of on the bubble one way. You know, I I don't I don't have any issue with with making it a little bit larger and just having even if it's just two out of three. I think in fact it would add a little bit of spice. Hmm. Uh, what what would you rather play? in the playoffs if, if you're an NHL team would you rather play four games or seven what like what's harder what do you mean to sweep what yeah 
What, what's harder, playing seven playoff games or four? Harder, seven, seven harder. So let me throw this hot take out <laughs> it's like when, It's let like when throw- Kadri got asked by Ron, Randy Carlisle and he didn't know what to answer. Like, nah, <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, get it. <laughs> I'll what's throw this hot take out there. Last year, the current playoff format screwed the Bruins out of a cup. There it is. They played a seven-game series against the Leafs in the first round when they very shouldn't have. They could have taken on the seventh-place team in the conference, which was Carolina, who they ended up sweeping in the Eastern Conference. Six games final. against Columbus, round two. Yep. Yeah. Mm. A Columbus team they that sw- outplayed they sweep? They swept Carolina. In the they swept final. Carolina. They lost the Stanley Cup by one game. Mm-hmm. One. It screwed them out of a cup. They should have won. There it is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Blues fans. Sorry, Blues fans. I don't know how. This. I don't know how scientific that is, Steve. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. The president would trust it. That's how scientific it is. Wow. I'm throwing it out there. Damn. That's right. Well, the president I don't know. says. St. Louis won a game seven at TD Garden. I mean, Boston had a chance to win it, and they they didn't. Uh, they hey, so did the Leafs. Now you're just saying <laughs> things that never happened. Now you're just saying impossible things. Yeah. It was, it was Carl Gunnarsson. It was Carl Gunnarsson's last stand after being part of that 2013 team. Damn. Th- that felt a little good. It must have been great for Tyler. What Bozak. a good guy Carl is. Yeah, Tyler. That's a great thing about hockey. No matter what team wins, I know you guys have allegiances, but there's always so many great stories built into every champion. Of course. Yeah, and of at, course. Least, uh, at least one ex-Leaf, you know? Yeah, always. <laughs> every year, every single time. Yes. They have cross-pollinated right across the NHL, yeah. so there is one everywhere. Yeah, I mean, kind of comes with the territory of burning a team to ash. <laughs> um, Chris, what does this loss in revenue do to the salary cap mixture? Well, there's not an easy answer. It's it's not going to go down uh, because oh, they not. can okay. because they basically can choose the number. But the number, without getting too deep into all the the math part of this, is it, it, it can be dictated by the league and the players' association. So what's been talked about right now is basically maybe using the current level of 81.5, maybe putting it to 82.5 million and setting it there for the next two or three seasons, keeping it oh. fixed. And, you know, that's, that would be done to, to kind of allow the players to start making back more than their share of the money uh, because they're taking too much right now. And again, the simplest of terms about the way the system works, where the rev, the, what the players are played is, is, is linked directly to the revenue the league brings in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what it does to a lot of teams, I think, this is actually going to be the craziest off season whenever it starts that, that we've ever seen, I think, because you're going to have a lot of teams of which the Leafs are one, but there's a lot of them that have committed money already that are going to be in a very tight salary cap spot. I think you're going to have free agents that are viewing free agents, free agency differently in that, you know, they're going to probably be paying 20 or 30% escrow players next year. Meaning what you sign your contract for isn't the actual amount of money you're getting. And so maybe, oh my God. So you're getting less look, than half probably after tax. After tax and what you pay your agent and everything. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, Ooh. but here's the thing. And look, there's, there's some things that could happen between then and now in terms of a new CBA that might change that. But like, that's kind of what we're looking at with what we know today for sure. And so I think what you might see with some of the free agents is you might see those guys make different decisions than they would have in the old system. I mean, maybe a guy like Alex Petrangelo goes someone for one or two years and in the money part of it isn't as important because he wants to be a free agent again when when you anticipate things getting more back to normal. I'm just throwing a name out there. I haven't asked Alex <laughs> or his agent. You know, but like Tory Crew, a place he could go. I know a place he could go. And look at I actually think Florida. in his case I don't think he has much interest in coming to Toronto, honestly. Oh, but yeah, well knows? I don't like, like him either. 
So never liked him. Never. Why does Alex he want? Too. Why wouldn't he want to come here? Just Colton Pareko carried him. Coping? He's a bum. I don't know. This. I mean, this. Chris Bond. Why doesn't he want to come here? <laughs> I don't. I don't know the answer. I just. I've been told that. I don't think that he's someone, and I don't think the Leafs look at the Leafs have no money to spend right now. I mean, right. To, yeah. to sign him, honestly, they'd have to trade like three players away, and I, I think they're nah. probably going to trade, probably going to yeah. trade one, one for sure, probably two to to sort of start balancing things with the cap uh, in the off season. But um, there, there's no way that they'd be in the mix. Hey, let's move on from that thought altogether. Yeah. But what yeah, I mean in you. general, thank you. <laughs> What, but Thank what I mean so in general, much. okay, let's take a less high-profile free agent, one that plays forward and would maybe get $3 million on the open market. I mean, he might only get $1 million in this new scenario. And so I think free agents will make decisions for different reasons than they have in the past. And Kyle Dubas, I actually read a story yesterday, Jonas Siegel did for The Athletic, kind of hinted at this. He didn't spell it out as explicitly as I am, but that the Leafs are hoping there'll be a destination maybe for players that realize, okay – you know, there isn't really money to be made on the free market the way there used to be. I'm going to go play somewhere else for different reasons and maybe try some money and endorsements. We can, we can well, give you endorsements. If you're not going to make a ton of money, maybe you want to go play close to home, mm. right. Or, or play somewhere you have a chance to win a cup. So I think it's going to be a fascinating off season. I think you're going to see crazy, crazy stuff happen once we, once we get there. So I've heard, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, Steve. well just to confirm. So you're confident and are you confident that other teams are confident that the salary cap will not go down? Yes, but I don't think it's going to go up and I don't think it's going to go up for years. I mean, this is the, the effects of this from a business standpoint are going to be felt for a long time. Yeah. And so it's that, that'll have ramifications. I probably haven't even wrapped my head around. I mean, who knows? Maybe players will have a salary rollback, which is something they did out of the 0405 lockout. I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds of things that can happen here. I think that you are going to see a new CBA come out of this. If you were looking for silver linings, uh, that could be one of just, if you're a sheer hockey fan who doesn't want to even think about the, the L word that's uh, hung around this league every seven to eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we're in a very good position here not to have another one of those L words. And, um, you know, I think the system will change because it's going to be demanded. I mean, this is such an unprecedented, unparalleled time. Uh, there's going to have to be different rules here at play. Do you think uh, there's going to be potentially uh, the addition of compliance buyouts? Would you think they'd revisit that option? I, I think it's a possibility. You know, it's, it's not a certainty. Um, you know, players might not honestly mind them. You know, it's a way for they them get to get paid and to get another contract, right? And um, we've seen a number of guys over the years that are still – I mean, I think Mikhail Grabowski is still getting paid money from his compliance buyout from the Leafs, even though he's he – well into retirement. So, oh my you know, in a weird way, it's almost, I mean, it, I guess it's better to get hundred percent of your money instead of 66%, which is how it works out. But it's almost like a deferred payment plan where that helps you ease your way into retirement and you can get another job and still get paid in the meantime. So uh, I think it's a possibility. Um, but I, I don't know for sure. And, and, and I don't, I don't think they've even really got there yet, truthfully, in terms of that level of negotiation on the CBA, but um, you know, they're going to have to do stuff like that to make this transition because the, the system wasn't built for this. The system wasn't built thinking about a pandemic that might halt a season literally in its tracks with, with really not all that much advance warning. Right. Well, it's a once a century, at least from what we've seen so far, and hopefully an occurrence, right? Let's hope. So, so then looking at the Leafs kind of more specifically on this, um, you know, there was rumors that Andreas Janssen might have been traded had he not gone down with that pretty nasty injury. I don't know how you can trade him now because he's had that pretty nasty injury. and He's got to come back and show 
that he's still Andreas Janssen, right? Usually after an injury like that, GMs want they might they might have liked the player before, but we don't know what he is now. So you're sort of trading at a loss. Kerfoot, Kapanen, Janssen, that third line, second line ish uh, group of guys. I've heard things floated uh, recently. People are you know they're just going down into the uh, going down to the pits, right? We're all looking for content. And we're all looking for things to write about. But I read something this morning, I think on Leafs Nation, that was saying, you know, why not trade all of them? Um, and I know you'll <laughs> laugh at that. I know you'll laugh at that. But why not? I think this plays into how good is Nick Robertson and is he ready to go? And number two is um, are, how many of those guys are going to be around and, and can they find that right-handed shot help that they desperately need with one or two of those guys gone? Well, the good news is that Nick Robertson's ready to fill that big hole on D. Uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Tombstone. Uh, take a bow, Mr. Johnson. Take a bow. <laughs> uh, sorry, it was just on the plate there. Yes. You guys do the rest yes. of the show. It will never die. <laughs> never. <laughs> Have you ever fully explained how you made that mistake? Uh, he, he, I just fucked up, Chris. I, I just, <laughs> it's not, it's not that intricate. I just, I don't know why I thought I, the only thing, the, the thing that people, uh, kept asking me is, did you mean this? Cause his brother is a defenseman, yeah, yeah. right? That's the only thing I can think of that I would have seen that made me think that I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. And like, I put like. I put like a ton of time into the prospect pyramid every year. It takes forever. It is not a video I look forward to making every year because it takes forever. How did I get their biggest prospect? How did I screw that up? I don't know. I don't At least know. You've made he was good a really good, yeah, he was a really good sport about it. The Pete's were a really good sport. I mean, I mean, underrated part of that video. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, SDA and Nick Robertson are on the Pete's, but like, they kind of consistently suck. So, like, we'll see how that goes. And sure enough, they, they look geared up for a Memorial Cup. Uh, and he scored, uh, I think it was 55 goals or something like that. Thank God he was a good sport. I grew up going to Pete's games, so I don't appreciate those kind of comments there from the cheap seats. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, hey, well, this this Jens fan uh, sends his apologies. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Peterborough's uh, just a hop, skip, and a jump from Coburg. Yeah, it's actually almost equidistant with Oshawa, but we didn't want to take the 4-1 when I was a kid. So oh, up, okay. highway, up Highway 28, we went a ton. My dad was a season ticket holder. Saw the stalls play there. Wow. Steve Downey was a really good Pete. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Names. Yeah. This was years ago, though. Years ago. Now they suck. No, <laughs> yeah, then they had a great year this year. No, they were spectacular this year. I liked um, uh, SDA's uh, Instagram post. He was, uh, I think he was playing hockey with his dog. And he's like, this is what happens when I don't have Nick Robertson to pass to. <laughs> <laughs> he actually took a shot. It was crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah. So Peterborough had this guy that scored more than a goal a game. And if you're the Leafs, you're saying, what do we do with him next season? And Marner made the jump. Marner And, and Robertson was scoring at a Marner pace, right? Uh-huh. When Marner won the Memorial Cup and all that sort of thing and jumped into the NHL the next season. You know, do you – do you bring him up and, you know, Marner started on the third. I, I hate to keep bringing up Marner, but wingers. Nick Robertson can play center, but you would expect in the NHL he's not going to be playing center right away, if ever. Um, and kill penalties. And he can kill penalties and that sort of thing. But, you know, they put Marner on the third line with JVR and Bozak, third line. Um, and that's how they started him, and that's where he started his career. Is that sort of 
well, how they could see him. It, like, cause is he like, can they really, is there really a scenario where he goes back to the OHL? I think there is one. I, it's probably not the preferred route right now. Okay. I'm sure for him, but especially for the Leafs, I think, you know, the summer is going to be interesting. You know, whoever wrote that article, trade them all. It might be onto something in a way, because oh in terms God. of ma- in terms of getting any, um, in terms of creating any amount of room here. I mean, look at, we, we already know they're letting Cody CC walk. I expect them to let Tyson Berry walk. And, and even with that, I mean, they're still right up against the cap. Uh, and, and even if you trade captain, who I think would certainly get you back something good, you know, good in return, you're only opening up another three, whatever million. I mean, I think that they have to be creative here if they stick to the idea of not trading any of the big boys. And, and certainly that's where I believe the organization has been at. I don't know if the current universe changes anything for them in terms of now knowing that the cap, you know, probably isn't going to go up much at all, if at all in the next two or three seasons, you know, maybe they revisit, um, you know, having 40 million tied up in four forwards. Uh, but if you're not trading one of the big guys, which I'm certainly not advocating, I think you're going to see them have to move out two or three players just to have the kind of flexibility you need. And that might open a spot for Nick Robertson because, you know, it's going to be a tough year for him. Let's face it. If he has to go back to the OHL yeah. where, where he kind of did everything, he had a chance to play at the world juniors. Uh, I mean, you know, this guy wants to be in the NHL. Every player does, but you know, he f- probably feels as though he's proven everything he has to prove at that level. What do you think about Pierre Engvall at center? like a third line center, like, do you, you know, maybe platooning with Spezza. So one, you know, depending upon, cause Spezza can play it for a while. Um, you would think Jason Spezza will be back if, if, yeah, you know, if they can I get him at league men. Okay. So if they can get him at league men, um, you know, because that's the thing is that we're, we're, we weren't totally sold on Kerfoot at center on third. Pierre Engvall had a great season until they decided to sign him to an extension and then he didn't. Um, and you know, so then it, you're looking at maybe potentially either a Spezza Robertson or a, uh, an Engvall Robertson, which honestly doesn't sound so bad. Just the Engvall Robertson experience thing might throw a few people. Engvall's a little bit older than people actually remember, though, because he's been developing for a while. Um, I'm not sold are, on him as an NHLer yet, honestly. Engvall? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. What? Tell us. Tell us. I've I've got concerns there. I mean, what did he go? 18 or 19 games to end the season. He had one goal, and it was against David Ayers. And, and, and obviously, they're not looking for him to be a goal scorer, but I don't know. I mean, he's got, a, he's got some physical attributes that jump out at you, but um, I, he's not a slam-dunk NHLer for me on this team, especially if the Leafs bring in more players, if they sign anyone else out of Europe, which I think is possible. Uh, you know, if they, have, if they have some choice, I think he's going to be fighting for a job in training camp. Okay. So Dude, he, oh God! What? 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 Oh, there, there were, there were. Do you guys love players. him? Sorry, I didn't know that I was. No, no, no. I just, no, I, I love did. Steve when Steve I, goes. When Steve did, did yeah. <laughs> when he first came up, I was, man, I was about a hot week away from getting an Engvall jersey. I like, I just loved the guy so much. I, I loved him as a Marley man. I loved him <laughs> as, a, as a Marley. He, sco- he scores that shorthanded goal in Keith's first game. It was great. He, he was on like a forty-point pace. Not a lick of power play time. He signed that contract and turned into a pumpkin, like right away. It was it was the most bizarre thing. Chris is right, man. CJ's right. Okay, I, I still think he's got something to prove. Even after earning that contract, I mean, this organization isn't afraid to pay him a million bucks to be a Marley again if if he doesn't earn a spot. I think he's it's, it's a barely amount, Keith, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's close. One point one is it or so? Anyway, one point two five, I think. Yeah, and that's it's buried. pretty much fully variable. 
either way, Keith even had some tough words about him towards the end. It all gets lost in the, the mush, but I, I do think that he's still got a fight for a spot and I, I'm not giving him, I'm not writing his name in, in pen right now for doing 2020, 21 leaves. The but, article but I, will, I will throw this out there though. I'm, we already know Nick Robertson knows how to play with a right-handed playmaker. Him and Spezza. That gets Might be me fun. Excited. Mm. Spezza looks good. I mean, like if, he, he, he didn't even look tired. Like he looked good. No. He wasn't no. Jason Spezza of 15 years ago, but who cares? Like he was pretty I good. I thought he was really good in some games, honestly. Like yeah. the best player I, some nights. Like there was times he was carrying the puck well. Obviously speed's never been his thing, but he still had vision. He still was useful on the second power play. I mean, for league minimum, that's all you can ask for. Plus he's just a super guy. I mean, if you want to cheer for people in this game, he's a very easy person to cheer for. He's a real class act. And the truth is you get to the end of the kind of career he's had, not everyone wants to keep playing. And the fact that he's willing to basically put money and ego aside, role aside, just to be part of this. I mean, I think that that's, those are nice stories in sports. Uh, because Especially with the Well, and so many people end up at the end of their careers for a lot of reasons, bitter about the business of the sport and, and what it's done to him. And he's just still loves it so much. And, and, you know, his, his, he kind of idolizes the Leafs in the way that Steve does, except that he gets to actually play for them. And it's just, it's, there's something quite endearing I'm about young. his desire to be here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's any risk from the organization. I mean, if he's taken league minimum again, if, if he shows his age by next year, if it looks like he can't play, I think he would step aside and retire or have the contract set to the Marlies or what have you. But I don't see any risk in bringing him back. And I, I actually think it's about 99%. Maybe not signed on like a contract, but I think it's understood that there's a fit there on both sides. Let me just jump in here for a second. The article I was referencing earlier, Chris, when we talked about Kerfoot, Kapanen, and Janssen is the Leafs are sitting, it's called the Leafs are sitting on a mountain of wingers. uh, And it is from the leafsnation.com. John Seitzer is the guy that wrote it. Uh, It's a fascinating sort of read, uh, short read. Um, But so if you do trade Kapanen, Kerfoot, Janssen, What's the return look like? Are they losing on those? Or is that something where they do go out and try to find the next, like, is it, is it the next Tyson Berry trade with maybe a, perhaps a guy who's a better fit? Do you revisit what happened with Calgary? They seem to have some sort of trade partner there, although I think TJ Brody's up at the Brody's end. a free agent now. So. Yeah, and so is Travis yeah, might Hammett. still be there. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, what, what do you think they do? Well, I think it's going to be tough to trade Andreas Janssen. I mean, any player that's had a six-month layoff, after a knee injury, you know, if you're trading him, you might even be sweetening that deal. I know that sounds crazy in a sense, but I don't, I don't think he's a tradable asset, especially at a time when most of the league is feeling a cap crunch. Right. Uh, because yeah. you do still have three more years, including next season on his deal. And that could be a good thing if he returns to pre-injury form. But, you know, I just think that that's a tough trade to make. I mean, with the other guys, they're, they're more movable. I think Kapanen, because he has one skill set that that is we could term elite that every – Every scout that's ever been through watching Elise will notice his speed and, and you know, the fact that I think he's become a pretty nice penalty killer because of that and, and you know, does some things at a very high level that, and is still pretty young. Um, you know, he's the most movable guy. Uh, I'm sure the Leafs don't want to move him for that reason. It's not as though they don't like him as well. But, you know, at some point, I think they're going to have to get creative. And I, I just have the feeling with the way this season went, this is more reading between the lines than anything explicitly someone's told me. But I just think you're going to see some creativity out of this front office. Like in some ways, the current situation demands it of them because of what's happened to this business. It's taken an abrupt turn from where we were. If, if we had this conversation in mid-January, this wasn't probably on any of our radars at this point and to where we are now. 
uh, you know, not yet at mid-April. Uh, so a lot's changed in the world. But, you know, I got the feeling between Brendan Shanahan and talking with him a little bit and just some of the, the comments Kyle Dubas has made publicly that they understand they got to take another go at this. And, and I think they've learned some things. I think, you know, the, the, the Clifford trade, for example, is a little bit of an acknowledgement that they had to acquire some of the aspects maybe that that front office hasn't been deemed to have liked. And I just, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see some creativity and probably a few surprises out of them this off season because the cap basically demands it of them, but I think their season demands it of them. I mean, they, they can't come back with the same thing and expect different results. So there, there was a fake or uh, yeah, there was a say, fake. I'm just going to bring this up. There it is. Kyle Clifford rumor out there, about uh, him getting three years, 2 million TJ. Uh, I don't know. Or, or sorry, TJ, uh, CJ. I don't know if you saw Steve's reaction to it. I flipped my shit. It was pretty ugly. Who was it, it from? Was, maybe was it, it was former scout guy uh he says he's a former scout apparently he's yeah. full of shit but it was um, nobody it was relevant within the media circles no no <laughs> you i would i would expect it to be coming from you elliot bob you know uh no, I, all i know is there's interest in getting a deal done from both sides but, but it I, costs the leafs a pick if they do is that something well, they want to do for kyle clifford it it, it upgrades the pick right it, yeah it, up oh, it upgrades it oh okay so i mean it has to be two. fact it has to be factored into the decision I think that they like him enough they would do it. But, I mean, look, he's coming back on a team-friendly deal or it's not happening. I mean, there's just – right now the Leafs honestly have some challenges in signing Ilya Mikheyev back. And, and um, you know, I think that it's not to say they won't do that, but they, they need everyone at the bottom end of the lineup to be buying into this. And, and you know, I, there's no chance – I would eat my shoe, as I said on the radio at some point, if he gets $2 million AAV from the Leafs. I just – I don't see that being something the team's going to do. Well, may may you stay hungry. How do you <laughs> how do you negotiate a deal like Ilya Mikheyev? So it's such a strange one because he had a good start to his rookie season, not mind blowing, but good. You could play him with John Tavares. You could play him on the penalty kill. He was he was extremely useful. You have a great relationship with his agent, but he played what like thirty games and looked good, but it was just thirty games. Right. So, like, how do you even? I'm getting a call that I should take. Take your call. You, yeah, take it. I gotta <laughs> go take your call. Yeah, take it. I gotta yeah, go beat yeah. it. Presser SDP. The Steve Dangle Press Conference. So, as you saw, CJ had to take a phone call. So, we thought, what the heck? We're sitting here anyway. He's got important people to talk to. We have each other. So, let's do. Jesse, what do you want to do? I want to do Adamod's History Corner. How did it become the – there's not even a corner. Like, I don't – It's the corner of the podcast where we oh. do history. Adam right. Wilde's history bed sheet. <laughs> I like corner better. <laughs> me too. All yeah, right. All right, so Danger Ferguson hit me up on uh, IG DMs, and he said, have a request for the next history segment of the SDP. Does Adam also cover the American Civil War? If sure. so – can he cover the Battle of Gettysburg? I have been to Gettysburg. I oh. took a tour at Gettysburg. <laughs> and I guess how old I was when I took the tour at Gettysburg. 31. Guess. Eight. Eight. Wow! <laughs> and we went to Gettysburg. We went to Gettysburg because I was obsessed with Gettysburg as an eight-year-old. Um, it's a – I mean, it's just a fascinating – fascinating time in history but 
um, my, my, one of my, one of my mom's friends got me a, a book about Gettysburg for my birthday that year. And she said, I had to ask your mom if this was okay. Because like, it was like from my friend who was also like seven or eight years old, but it, and it was like a history, it was a history book. I didn't think any, anything of it, but she's like, are you sure you're okay with me, Marilyn, giving your son a book about the American Civil War? And my mom's like, oh yeah, no problem. Like whatever. It's like, there it could have been a lot worse. So I got- violent. <laughs> but very violent. And, oh, actually, you know what? Oh, before we get into this, I've got the best story for you. So grade one, you know how they make you, you know how they make you make a card for your, your mom on Mother's Day in like grade one, grade two, grade three? My mom has this card still. I put a little Union soldier and a little Confederate soldier shooting each other and I said, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think she'd want that? Man, I wasn't thinking about what she wanted. I was thinking about what I wanted, obviously. <laughs> I got to get her to dig it up because it is oh my God. Uh, what a loser. So much wrong with it. Like you're a <laughs> nerd. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dork. Just nerd. And, oh and, my and God. so, so much wrong with, with that. Uh, but my mom, yeah, the little union and little confederate yeah. soldiers shooting at each other. Um, but yeah, no. So the, the battle of Getty, Getty, <laughs> Getty. No, no, just transition out of that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> like, like, you know what Steve says, different dude? He's not kidding. Like, uh, I, I, it took me a while to realize that this shit wasn't normal. But that's just who I am. I don't know. I don't know why I'm this way. This is just the way I am. Everyone's got this. It's like if I made a birthday card, like, happy birthday, grandpa. And it's like him shooting Hitler. <laughs> Which, I mean, would be a great card great i'm sure he would have appreciated it more than my mom did for mother's day <laughs> but uh yeah so gettysburg's a really interesting battle for a lot of reasons um but chiefly um it is known as sort of the turning point in that war and you know it's funny the the could you know put aside if you can the fact that you know the ide ideologies of both sides right you've got the north uh, fighting for many things, but the thing chiefly that we know what of today is obviously the abolition of slavery, which strangely didn't happen until the war started um, when Abraham Lincoln uh, made the proclamation, the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation. So you've got that and you've got the Confederates fighting for Southern rights and things, things of that nature, right? That's their, uh, and they're fighting essentially to create their own country. They don't want to be a part of the United States anymore. Um, and so the, uh, weirdly enough, the biggest, the best general that the Union Army has, Robert E. Lee, defects at the beginning of the war and goes to the Confederate side because he was, he believed in um, states' rights and he also believed in uh, loyalty to your state rather than your country, which was a prevailing thought in a lot of places in the United States back then and still sort of is today. Didn't like the you know, it's a small federal government and the states sort of look after themselves. That was sort of the point. And, and so he leaves and he's like, I can't fight against Virginia. So he goes and joins the Confederate army and they have this run of absolutely stunning victories, absolutely stunning victories. So you're talking about a, an army that is undersupplied. Most of their soldiers didn't have proper uniforms. In a lot of cases, they were barefoot. Uh, these are poor um, and an extremely high morale army. And then the union on the other side has, you know, they, the first guy I believe was like a drunk. The second guy was, no, the first guy was 
the first guy that they had as the general was this really conservative guy who like didn't want to move the army and was enjoying being general too much to actually fight anything. And then he kept losing. And then they have another guy who I think was a drunk. And then they have this guy, Ulysses S. Grant, who eventually became president. Um, Wasn't he a drunk too? I think, well, I think most by our standards, a lot of people (laughs) back then were. But Grant and Lee were the... I'm, two I'm going by family guy, by the way. That right. Is, that yeah. Is- <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So Grant and Lee go head to head. And this is sort of like the heavyweight bout. And it happens in, in three different days. You know, back then when they fought a battle, they fought a battle. They went to the battle. They fought for like five or six hours. And then they walked away. Especially the retreating army. They were rarely pursued because the way that armaments were set up back then, it was all very defensive. You march down and met each other in the middle and shot at each other, and then somebody ran, and that was it. Uh, And then you had some artillery bombardment and that sort of thing. But what happened here was the South who were riding this wave, uh, and I think a little bit had had abated at this point, um, they attack and they make this pretty grandiose attack on the first day um, uh, up uh, a couple of little hills. I think it was a little, I forget what they were, the round top or something like that. Anyway, the, the Union troops at the top run out of bullets. So the commander's like, I don't know what to do. And the Southern guys who are coming up the mountain are, they're known for their, you've heard a rebel yell, right? It's this yelp that they did. So it would make them sound like they were bigger and larger than any, than they actually were. So it would make their army sound huge. And it was something that they, we believe they picked up from the Native Americans who also uh, did the same thing. It was to make your numbers sound bigger. And it used to chill the shit out of the, the Union Army used to freak them out. So this commander who's at the top of this hill, and this is just one little story of many, says, okay, we're out of bullets. We're completely out of bullets. So what are we going to do? You know those big sharp knives they put on the end of those muskets, the bayonets? We're just going to charge them. And he charged them right down the hill and beat them. And that was sort of like a whoa moment. Now, the, 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 whole, uh, the whole engagement ends two days later um with a huge huge confederate defeat they march out to the middle of the field the union kind of stuffs it and that was sort of it for the confederate army for the rest of the war after that it was like loss 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 and you know they they talk about this period after the civil war called reconstruction where they literally had to rebuild the south because the union armies came in and they and they would just burn the cities down in a lot of cases because it's war and that's what happened so the Gettysburg itself is fascinating because it's three separate engagements that could have gone either way. And the thinking was, if the South had won, it would have been very, very, very difficult for the Union to win the war. Not because they weren't better supplied, bigger, more economically powerful, but because the appetite for warfare in, in, in that, those northern states was really going down. People were tired of their sons getting drafted and pulled into the army. They were tired of, you know, losing their money over this. They were tired of war. And Lincoln, his whole presidency, you know, kind of sort of rested on that as well. Um, And then, of course, it's famous because Lincoln came and gave the Gettysburg Address afterwards. And it's one of the only major battles between Napoleon and World War I that occurred in the world. You had you know, the Crimean War a little bit, you had this and that, but essentially the world went about a century without a major conflict, a major European conflict. So there's only this one conflict in the United States that is, that is the Civil War, that this, this experiment, which America was and is, this great Republican experiment, tore itself apart for three years. And 
the fact that it came back together, like if you really study American history, it's, a, it's an absolute, uh, it's crazy that these 50, back then it was less than 50 states, but these states have held together as long as they have. Because if you look over world history, it just doesn't happen. And so this, the whole world was watching because there was a lot of people in England and France and many other places. France had gone to, it had gone from a monarchy to a constitutional monarchy, to a revolutionary government, to Bonaparte, back to a monarchy, back to an empire. And there was a lot of people who, in Europe who believed, yeah, see, this is why democracy can't work. This is why democracy can't work because they can't hold it together. They couldn't even put it together for 100 years. And the fact that Gettysburg went the North's way is a lot of the reason why, at least in theory, people theorize um, the, that the United States is still united at this point. Now, it probably, the North probably still could have won, uh, but the question was, was there a public will to win? And in a democracy situation, that really matters. Um, and the South's biggest problem in that, in that war was the fact that they were pro-slavery. And uh, I mean, that's the South's biggest problem in that context in any, in any sense. But from a, a worldwide view, uh, there's nothing that England, especially at this time, wanted more than to see the United States sort of broken up, mm. you know, cut in half. But Is England, that what would have happened if the South won the entire Civil War? That's what they were fighting for, yeah. And they okay. were fighting to, to get into the heads of the Union Army because they couldn't beat them face to face. It's like, it'd be like me fighting Mike Tyson. If I, I'm not going <laughs> to outslug him. I'm not yeah. going to outslug him. So I got to get in his head and kill his will to fight. And that's what the South almost had. They, oh, they were that close. And so, you know, without that, there's no abolition of slavery in the South. There's, there's a bunch of other things that didn't go, uh, that it was a good thing that the South didn't win. Um, and there was no European power at the time that was worth anything, Britain and France. They were not going to support the South uh, because they were abolitionist states, meaning they no longer believed in slavery and did not have slavery in any of their colonies anymore either. Um, so, you know, England can't say we're, you know, we're going to support, you know, the, the Confederate States because we cannot support a, a government that wants slavery. So there, if they had dropped the slavery issue, if they had dropped that and said, no, no, we're going to, we're going to abolish slavery, they probably could have had England and France on their side. Wow. It was that Crazy. simple. It was that simple, but the, wow. that they could not be supported. And so anyway, it's, it's there. I'm, I'm again, oversimplifying to the yeah, max yeah. here. But it cannot be overstated how important that battle was to American history. It really, um, it really, you know, it, it kind of cooked the South's goose, really. Just it, it sort of destroyed the war effort because they lost a lot of people, cavalry units, I think. Uh, it, but it, it made, made or break, it was a make or break moment and it broke them. And Gettysburg uh, is where? It's in Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, so you can take a tour. You can take a guided tour. Uh, at the time, they had like these cassette tape tours that you'd rent the cassette and you'd actually play it in your cassette player and walk around. Yeah. We actually had somebody that took us around, which you can do, um, and they take you to all the spots. And it's crazy because there's houses there that still have bullet holes in. They still have little wow. musket ball shots. Yeah, there's like a little. There's a farmhouse that happened to be in the middle of the major engagement on the third day that's still standing that has bullet holes everywhere in it. And it's just crazy to see. So it's, for me, like my little eight-year-old heart was singing. Uh, uh, I found it fascinating. I still do. Uh, but it's a, it's a pivotal, pivotal moment in American history. And there were a lot of, a lot of major powers, because you remember America was not the preeminent power in the world at that time. 
uh, a lot of major powers were watching this to see what's warfare look like because it's been 40 years since we fought one, you know? And that was, that was sort of the thing. It's like there, there, there was observers that are going, how are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's, hey, there there's the history corner and CJ's back. Hey, hey. perfect timing. <laughs> Jesse's got. We were we were talking about uh, we we're talking about players, but Jesse, you have a question about um, Freddie Anderson. Yeah, it goes along to what we were talking about before and uh, just re-signing players. And it, do you see Frederick Anderson coming back at the end of the 2021 season? Did he play himself into a contract that's going to be too big by having a good year to start the year and the previous year before, or did he kind of play himself out of that? contract range by not having such a great end to the season where it ended do you see him coming back as a leaf it's so hard to say I mean I certainly see him back for next season uh, because I don't think there's any real harm in bringing him back even if he hasn't been extended if it's just for the last year but what happens beyond that I I don't really know I mean clearly they like the guy I think Freddie's very close with his teammates I mean he's quarantining with Austin Matthews right now in Phoenix during the the coronavirus period, you know, just says enough right there about how close those two are. I think he likes Toronto, but, you know, there is a scenario where they're, they're not able to pay him. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to pay him even any more than the $5 million he makes now, especially if we're looking at a flat salary cap. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of it will end up coming down to how he plays between now and the end of his contract in terms of the least level of interest. I have to believe his interest will be high. I think he wants to be somewhere – where he's a number one, and he's unquestionably been that his entire stint with the Leafs. He's played a lot of games, probably too many games uh, for the organization's liking. But, um, you know, he's he's a TBD to me. I, I can't really handicap it too strongly one way or the other, except to say I, I do think that they will bring him back for next year for the last year of his deal. What would be the option if they didn't have him? Like what – I mean, are their, their prospects are not close, are they? I guess you hope one of them is, you know, two mm-hmm. years from now. Uh, or, or you go out and get another goalie. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it would be a tough situation. I mean, I, I have to believe the best outcome for the people involved here is that Freddie continues playing well, maybe next year that he plays 50 games instead of 60-something, and that Jack Campbell is a more stabilizing backup, that he has lots of success, and that he wants to stick around and isn't going to, you know, drive a hard bargain to do so. Uh, but I just see a lot of yeah buts potentially – that, that could pop up in there, you know, right down to his performance. I mean, he didn't play as well, at least statistically this year, as he has his previous every year in the NHL, but certainly his years in Toronto. And so, you know, if that holds as a trend, if, if he does have some struggles, the organization might be left with almost no choice but to, to look somewhere else. Uh, it's so tricky. I mean, when you have a solid number one, which he's been, you never think about that position. You just roll the guy out there and he is what he is. But if you're a team that's looking for that, it's it can be hard to find. and and you know, I, I'm no goalie expert, but, you know, a guy like Joseph Wall with Leafs having the organization, I, I don't know that you could ever say two years from now he's going to be ready to be the number one. I think that that's a pretty tall order, but maybe they go with some sort of 50-50 split for that season if they don't bring Anderson back. I mean, I think there are other, are other options out there, and every year there's usually a couple good goalies on the market. I think the one mistake, if we're looking back on the Leafs season they made clearly, is not having a proper backup. I, I don't – I don't think you'll see Kyle Dubas repeat that one right? because it was a huge factor in their season. And honestly, I think if you just had Jack Campbell all year, which of course he wasn't necessarily available in the trade uh, before the year, but you know, the, the Leafs probably had six more points anyway, maybe even more than that in the bank, just from uh, some of the, the, the games they, they frittered away with Michael Hutchinson and Ned and 
they never would have really been on the playoff bubble and it would have been a totally different feeling around their entire season. Yeah. That is, um, yeah. So two, two questions on the Jack Campbell front, because I've, I've heard it suggested that the organization seems to think he has number one potential, but what you just said there didn't really instill a whole lot of confidence. I, I mean, look, it, maybe he does. He, he did have one really good year in LA, um, but you, he hasn't shown it anywhere in the NHL, really. He's 28, right? Right. Um, you know, his track record doesn't suggest he's going to be a 50 to 60 game starter in the league. Now, I'll gladly eat my words if, if I end up being wrong on that. Uh, but I don't think he's of the same pedigree as, as someone like Frederick Anderson. And I don't think he needs to be. I mean, look, even with the, the contract extension, he has kicking in uh, starting next year. I mean, he's paid under $2 million. I mean, he's paid like a backup. I think that's what he is. You hope that he's the kind of backup that you can trust, not just in, in, in those back-to-backs and all those types of things. I do think you're going to see the Leafs go to something more like a platoon uh, in, the, in the next season with, with him and Anderson. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't see him stealing the number one job. I think that would, that would only happen if Anderson was injured and they were forced into it or, or something like that. But I, I don't think that that's really the, the thought of him. And, and honestly, one thing we haven't factored in here is at the end of, you know, 2021 season, there's an expansion draft. And, and mm-hmm. at this point in time, I assume that Jack Campbell would be exposed in that draft. Certainly not saying Santa will take him. It's, it's impossible to, to handicap that this far out. But, you know, there is a chance that, that the Leafs end up losing him in the expansion draft. Uh, in a year's time that's if they don't sign I mean Freddie would be up wouldn't he Freddie would be up but you have to expose at least one goalie under contract oh yeah. shit yeah that was wow. a big deal when they and, acquired him because then they would they gained a goalie that they could expose in the draft yeah right. exactly I mean and look it's not to say that when they acquired him they did it because they have to expose him I think it's more they they have options right I think one thing the Leafs do really well honestly in, in their deals is they address the sort of immediate obvious need but they always add one or two other little small things that, that don't always get attention like that, but they, they sort of solve a small future problem in addition to dealing in the moment. I mean, obviously at that time, the game at Madison Square Garden, they, they got Jack Campbell. You, know, you couldn't roll Michael Hutchinson out there anymore. I mean, the guy, I don't, I can't shell. believe it. But also I just that week, remember they played almost a perfect game against Florida. Uh, he came in and that game because Anderson got injured in the third period. Like it's going through them from everywhere. I mean, that, that was probably one of the Leafs' best games just from the way they played. And it was a huge game in terms of the standings. And that there's no reason they shouldn't have won that one, let alone went regulation. And they lost it regulation. You know, they, they, they let the, goal, the goalie thing drag on way too long uh, before addressing it. So anyway, they addressed that immediate need with that trade, but they also solved some future issues with it. And I think that that's a, a nice – it's a feather in the cap of their front office. I think that they, they do a lot of logical things when, when it comes to these moves. Uh, early, early in the season, uh, something you talked about earlier is if they had addressed the backup thing sooner, maybe Babcock would still have his job. I can't help but think, but game three of the season, they play two great games. I think it was against Ottawa and Columbus. Game Montreal. three, they're up four-one on Montreal, and they mm-hmm. blow it. Now, in the third Cap- period, in the third period, now Kasperi Kapanen temporarily lost his mind and threw his stick, but. Like you can't, you can't allow that many goals. It was Matthews that even forced that game to overtime. Uh, and then later the sh- uh, shootout. The other thing I had there with Campbell is, so there's a conditional pick in that trade. Um, it's a third that turns into a second. If Clifford re-signs or if Campbell won X amount of games. Six games, yeah. Six games. And he didn't, right? No, he won three. He won three. So if 
fantasy scenario, if they don't bring back Clifford, what the heck happens to that pick? Because I got to imagine the LA Kings would be justified in maybe taking that to some sort of arbitration. Except there won't be because the way those conditions are written is he wins six games. It doesn't say right. Okay. If he gets, cause Over he could have been injured, right? Like they, they could have brought him in the first game. He gets injured. He doesn't play again this season. He didn't right. win six games. You know, I, I, I okay. think so those types of trades to me are going to be black and white uh, with the league. I mean, it, it's really crappy. I mean, I don't even think that that trade is a great example of it, but there's, there's a few others. Uh, there was a condition in that, that Lucic, uh, Neil deal about Neil getting to 21 goals and he had 19 and probably would have got to 21 to the last X amount of games, you know, stuff like that. I could see some frustration over, but to me, those are black and white. You can't go back and say, you can't undo. I mean, really the condition wasn't met. Um, and in yeah. this case, LA might be lucky because I do think there's, there's at least a, a decent chance here that Kyle Clifford will resign with Toronto and they'll get that second rounder anyway. But if that doesn't happen, it's going to be a third rounder. Um, what are There were ton, 20 teams interested in him. He's not a superstar, but when you hear 20 teams are interested in a player, you think, well, he's got to be somewhat good. What do the Leafs have in Barabanov? Well, they don't even know, right? And, and so certainly I, I don't know for sure. I think the reason – what they have is a lottery ticket, though. and in the past, some of these lottery tickets have paid off. Now, looking at what this guy has done offensively in the, the KHL, I don't see anything in there to suggest he's going to even have the kind of impact that Ilya Mikheyev did last year for the Leafs. But, you know, most scouts that I talk to on him certainly believe he's a player that plays in your lineup tomorrow. And, and that's how the Leafs are viewing this. That's the pretenses under which they signed him. I mean, he had that degree of interest. He was going to get uh, at least a handshake promise that he's going to be playing in the NHL. And I think one reason the Leafs have been really good at, at getting these guys out of Russia is they've always honored those commitments. Even with Igor Ozaganov, you know, they played him. Uh, it didn't, didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, sure he, did. He, he sure left. <laughs> but my point is they gave him the chance, which is, which is what obviously these guys want when they come over. And so, you know, there's a lot of X factors here. This is another player that doesn't speak English. There's going to be a culture shock. He's going to be on the smaller rink and all these things, but you know, he's played at the Olympics. He's played at the world hockey championship against NHL players. And he's been on the, the best team or one of the best teams, certainly in the KHL for the last seven seasons. So, you know, I, I think what they have is for sure someone that can play in the bottom six. Um, maybe there's a little bit of untapped skill in there. We won't really know until we get to see him, but I think the value for the Leafs is look, he, he costs 925 grand on the cap. Uh, if he's a player, that's a huge bonus. If he's not, there's lots of things they can do. He can go back to Russia. They can send him to the Marlies. It's, it's a low risk gamble. And, and given the success they had with Mikheyev, you know, I think that there's every reason to, to take this chance now. And you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Whoa. I, I never buy the ticket. Do you guys buy the tickets? Uh, I don't. I don't. No. Uh, <laughs> I spend my money elsewhere. But Jesse plays. I Spanish. have. I have. I've done all, all right on the lottery. Well, Jesse and I did something with OLG recently. Mm-hmm. And so we got support a, OLG. Yeah. No, we, we got a <laughs> gift card. I think it was 150 bucks worth of gift card for the lottery, and I won $151. <laughs> Are you making yeah. that up? No. That's awesome. That yeah, I, cool. t- I took mine, and I took some of it, and I bet on the Super Bowl, and I won. 
So see, oh, that, okay. but see if you're good at fantasy, it's almost a better investment. You might you win want a smaller, lot more United, yeah. but, you can, <laughs> but you can still win something. Yeah. <laughs> you want a lot more United. Um, Will the season end? Mm, I don't know. No, no, no. Yeah, I should have put money on that at the beginning <laughs> of the year, Chris. Um, you know, we obviously, you know, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, so we want to thank you. I don't think so, Chris. Um, (laughs) we, we really do want to thank you for coming on. I'm not Um, doing that much, man. I got my track pants on. I'm just chilling. Me too. I was wondering, I was genuinely wondering. Thank you for painting that picture. But we really, I mean, I'm dressed. It's just, I'm not dressed in a way (laughs) I ever would be at work normally. Yeah. Well, listen, we, we just, we just want to say we genuinely appreciate it. It's great to see you again, even if it's on video conference. Yeah. yeah. And You're great to us. Yeah. yeah. And guy. thank you. Thank you for continuing to come on this show and um, alleviate some fear for sure. Like that's the number one thing for us is that you make the pit in my stomach go away, which is nice. Uh, and I think that's for Steve too, but also for your insight and, and, and knowledge into this stuff. There's a I'm sure you get tired of these questions. I'm sure that every bloody dinner party you go to, you get the same questions that we asked you today. Um, but but we, really, we really genuinely appreciate everything you bring to the show because every time you come on, it's dynamite. So thank you. I'm really big with middle-aged men. You know, there's a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in random social situations, there's always, there's always a middle-aged man that wants to come over and ask me some question about something some trade condition, what have you. That's I, I don't know if they want to ask you their question as much as they want to tell you their answer. Right. <laughs> How often does that happen to you? Yeah. Oh, every day. I'm not, I mean, literally once a day I get something like that happen. It's, it, you know what? I love it. I actually, I, at first I was uncomfortable with it because it's sort of weird, this idea that people are stopping you on the street and stuff, but I actually do. I appreciate that people care that much. And even in the social distancing times, like a couple of times, I've been out for a walk and one guy just yelled like, Chris Johnson, are they going to play again? (laughs) Are they getting Petrangelo? (laughs) So even in this time when obviously everyone's mind is everywhere, I'll still get stopped on the street literally every day if I go out where people are at in downtown Toronto. So I I appreciate that. It's fun. That's awesome. awesome. Well, we're going to name this episode Petrangelo Hates Toronto. Um, no, you're not. By Chris According Joe. to Chris Johnson. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I will own it when I make headlines, but there was no headlines to be made today. So okay. right. the next right. visit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back either when we, there's maybe a resolution to the season, when we can really stir it up and make some big headlines, I'll be back. Okay. But well, right now, it's just it's all speculation for everybody, right? We don't know mm-hmm. if there's going to be games. We're all kind of stuck in this netherworld. Well, we're, we're thrilled to hear that. You come back and, and drop headlines on us anytime. And, uh, you know, Chris, I have to say, I'm going to talk about him if, if he's not here. He's one of the genuine good people that you'll meet in life, uh, just, just in general. Forget hockey. Uh, so, Chris, it's such a pleasure to have you on, and thank you so much. Thanks for this game of catch, pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate it. <laughs> I watched Tiger King. That's my other confession. I watched oh. Tiger King. Okay, so hold on, hold on quickly, quickly. Carol Baskin. She did, she did that shit. Oh, she did, yeah. Allegedly. No, no, you no, have to say, no. But you have to say allegedly. Did. But you do have to say allegedly. <laughs> no, she I, did no it. No way. She did it. <laughs> <laughs> you can title this option. You can title this episode, She Did It. She oh, did it. there you go. There's the hot, yeah. Articles will be written about it. Chris, thanks so much, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Be safe out there. on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle at Adam W-Y-L-D-E and at Jesse Blake. Brought to you by Panago Pizza. Order at Panago.com and stuff your face with deliciousness.
Connection complete.